Welcome once again to Cinnamon Holics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for The Young Folks and film critic for websites like Boards Watch and Spool. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He's my co-creator for Cinema Holics. Always good to see and hear him as well, Ashton. You're not going to call it Cinnamon Holics? I said Cinnamon Holics. Oh, did he do? Uh, I meant cinnamon blend. I meant to say cinnamon, cinnamon blend. blend. Oh, yeah. So here's the situation, listeners, because you're probably like, what the heck? So I wanted to pull a prank on Will Ashton, my co-host. Right. And so I went to Twitter and I was like, hey, everybody, uh, because here here's the situation. I had said, well, Will, here's the link for the episode we we're going to record. And so I didn't think Will was going to be on Twitter, tw- like looking through his tweets Looking through the timeline while we're supposed to be recording episode of Cinemaholics because we got to get to business. But no, Will Ashton is scouring the feeds because it's like he knew this was going to happen. But I was going to prank Will and call the show Cinnamonholics. And I put out a poll on my Twitter being like, all right, is Will going to notice? And, you know, you had three options. Either yes, Will Ashton will notice that I said Cinnamonholics instead of Cinemaholics. You know, where we review uh-huh. the biggest and best baked goods coming to bakeries and available to order online through Amazon. And so you could say yes, or you could say, yeah, Will will notice, but he's not going to say anything, which that would be my biggest bet. And then... Yeah, that would have been my... If, if I was an objective uh, voter, that would have been my yeah, pick. that's a pretty reasonable... Because this is like, okay, John flubbed. I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to interrupt the flow. That That is a Will Ashton kind of thing, like personality-wise. Yes, that was... when I When I read that, I was like, that is very true. That would be... In most scenarios, what I would do if, if this was a natural thing yeah. that you didn't plan ahead of time and you accidentally said yeah. cinnamon holics, or you know, uh, supposedly uh, accidentally, not done it in perp- on purpose for a prank. Yeah. Third option was no. So Will Ashton, twenty three people voted. What do you think people said? I'm looking at it now. It looks like most people said yes, yeah. but he'll say nothing. Yeah, you know, almost a tie between yes and no. I respect that. I don't know if he did this for a bit. Or if he didn't notice my tweet, but I like that, uh, like 15 minutes after I tweeted in response, I'll notice Matt said, team, he won't notice. Yeah, <laughs> Matt's a real one. I mean, he just, he went with his yeah. heart and his gut. He, you know, the facts can just, you know, find themselves somewhere else. That's what Matt said. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So good for him. So welcome. Hey, to, welcome to Cinemaholics. Um, I, I thought, sure. I thought about doing a fourth one where it was like, call it Kirsten Cinemaholics, but I knew everybody would just vote for that one. So no fun. Sure. I did like that you were giving me gruff for being late on the show, but before we recorded, I think we spent, uh, what, objectively like 40 minutes talking about Hillary Duff's career? That's true. That's true. Uh, in the lead up. Yes. In the lead up, we, yes. <laughs> you make it sound like we talked about Hillary Duff for 40 minutes. It was more like seven. We talked about a lot of things in the, in the, in the pre-show that nobody will ever get to hear. And a lot of it. For everything from Joe Swanberg to Pamela Fryman to all kinds of sure. I mean, we went all over the map. Yeah, this is all true. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a good conversation. It's a shame no one else will get to listen. It was to just it. for us. We got to have a little moment, yeah. a little, you know, some bonding session. Nobody needs to hear just, it. Just, just for the for the for the guys. Yeah, just the two. Uh, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. As always, you can also find written reviews on there, other bonus content. Check it out. You can write into the show. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. So easy. Just say hey. You know, we get we get emails from time to time. They're always so lovely. People are usually super nice. We haven't got a mean email yeah. in so long. I, I don't even remember the last time we got a mean email. They're all they're always good. 
we occasionally, I think, like bi yearly, we'll get one yeah. that's like, hey, cut it out with the politics. And we're like, no. Yeah. And it's like, okay. I mean, just leave it at that. You know, that's fine. <laughs> There's always a dialogue. It's good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we want to hear from you. You know what? If you got an issue, you got, a, you got an axe to grind, we'll hear it. We'll, we'll read it. You know? So just do that. And if you like to support this show, if you're like, I don't want Cinemaholics to end, I want the fun to keep going forever, go to patreon.com slash Cinemaholics. Check out one of the tiers. And, you know, I get it. Times are tough. If you can't swing a donation at this current time, please, no worries. Don't do not do anything that's going to stress you out. I mean, we don't want to stress you. We want you to have fun. And you know what's really fun? Giving us a five-star rating on Cinemaholics. You're going to feel so great after you do it. You know, just a couple taps. And as always, though, we got to say, if you're going to do the five-star, don't give it to us for free. Don't spoil us. If you spoil us, it's not good. It's not good for us. We just get five stars for nothing. That's just going to... That's just going to get to our heads. So you got to, you got to say something in the five-star rating be like, John, will you could, you could do better at this or that. Make it six stars. Okay. I know it doesn't exist, mm. but it could someday. And uh, I'm spot, I'm talking specifically about Apple podcasts, but you could do it on Google play podcast. You could do it on Stitcher. You know, I don't think Spotify has any sort of rating system. They should, they don't, mm. but you know, yes, I think most of our listeners at this point are Spotify though. If I, Yes. If I've looked at the numbers carefully, I'd say most people find us on Spotify. But you know what? It's not a tribe. However you listen to us, just uh, you know, do what you got to do to to support the show if you can. And if you're also like, look, I don't want to just support the show. I want to represent Cinemaholics everywhere I go, at school, at the office, at the post office even. There is a merch page on Cinemaholics.com. You should be on Cinemaholics.com right now. I mentioned it already. So you should have already typed it in. While you're there, check out our merch page. We sell all kinds of stuff with the Cinemaholics logo. We got new mm. merch coming. I say it every week yes. because someday it will be true. And yes. we'll actually own some of the Cinemaholics merch. You got the shot glass. You've got I the, do. Yes. You got the hoodie. Mm. I think. Yes. I don't think a lot of people get the shirt. The shirt is probably the least I have, popular thing. I have the t-shirt as well. My, I think my dad gave it to me, mm. which was very sweet. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, so I have a t-shirt, I have a hoodie and I have a shot glass. And if you want to be yeah. just like, me, if you want to be just like Will, you can have, if you want to, if you want to you aspire can have as well. to the Pittsburgh living, uh, yes, you can, William a. If, 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 if you're looking to, to mirror my lifestyle in any way, if that's the case, I, I sincerely <laughs> apologize. Um, I say go but if it. that's something you aspire, if that's something you aspire to, then uh, go over to that Cinemaholics merch page uh, yeah. and uh, check out check out what we got. I'm going to do that right now. I know we're supposed to be talking about movies, but I want to do that instead. Uh, so Chris Sheridan, your co-host on It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre, he just replied to the poll. Mm. So I got to read this okay. out loud live. Um, so he's saying, I said yes to the poll that, you know, Will, you're going to notice, but I want to add that mm. it won't be till later that he points it out. So, so, and I think that's right. I think Chris is saying like, okay, Will... Yes. In this objective scenario where you hadn't seen the tweet beforehand, you would have noticed it was Cinnamon Holics. I actually kind of like this interpretation mm. from Chris. You probably would have brought yes. it up halfway into the eyes of Tammy Faye review. You would have been like, yeah. you know what, John? I don't want to hear it from somebody who says Cinnamon Holics instead of Cinemaholics. Yes. At that point, you'd been like, what are you talking about? Because it wasn't a bit. <laughs> I would have forgotten guess, it by you'd then. You'd be like, <laughs> right. You're just trying uh, to score yeah. points. Or I'd... Br- I think it would be funnier if I didn't bring it up until like 
for whatever like when we're reviewing like licorice pizza or something in december and i'm like licorice well excuse pizza. me mr cinnamon holics and you're just like what are you talking yeah. about is that an actual and, movie yeah. coming out in december licorice pizza or did you make that's that uh up? paul thomas anderson no paul thomas anderson's oh, movie you're right it's called licorice pizza as of now okay. yeah i remember seeing a headline about that okay i'm in i'm in it's it's pt let's let's go pta yeah PTA. we already have a yeah. pt anderson <laughs> That's Calm so confusing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Will Ashton. You, I think you're thinking of, uh, I think you're thinking of Paul W.S. Anderson. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, you're thinking yeah, of yeah. I'm getting my initials all mixed. Will, sure. Will Ashton, we have, what's on the marquee this week? I mean, what's the marquee review? I think there are three things we're going to get to, but. I was going to say. difficulty this week. Yeah. Isn't? Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure if we were going to be covering Prisoners of the Ghost Land, but that's our third review. Before that, uh, we're going to be talking about uh cry macho first um so here's the thing the new clint eastwood yeah the new clint eastwood yes. so here's the thing so i'm just gonna get this out of the way listeners we we talked about what we were going to talk about we we're like okay cry macho sure okay whatever eyes of tammy Faye. Mm-hmm. that was the other one and what ended up happening was uh we both watched cry macho you know like i watched it first then will saw it and yes i think will was just kind of like you know cry macho rules i saw eyes of tammy Faye, and i was like eyes of tammy Faye rules and so we were just kind of like, okay, well, which one goes first? And then Will was just like, here's the situation, John. Because I was like, oh, Prisoners mm. of the Ghostland is the third one. But I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I look, we watched that at Sundance. I barely remember it. I don't, I don't know if I want to talk about it. Will Ashton came into my office, stormed it, <laughs> threw yes. like a bag of Skittles at my face. It hurt. And was like, yeah. taste the rainbow, biatch. And was like, we're going to talk about Crime Macho first. That's how it's going to be. Okay. We're going to talk about Prisoners of the Ghostland. And I was like, but Will, and you said, but nothing. You kicked over my mm. desk. I had to scoop back to avoid the desk landing on my feet. And you okay. said, it's my way or the highway. My way or I'm gone. I'm walking. No more Cinemaholics for anybody. No more Cinemaholics for anyone who wants it. So that's what we're the doing. The most surprising thing, I think, for me in this scenario, it's not only that I went to San Francisco, but I knew, I guess, in this hypothetical situation that you would be back in the office and somehow made it into your office space. I'm in my office and, right now. Uh, are you? Yeah, I have an office. Yeah. Are you back? It's, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I go back to work office. this week. I don't do Cinemaholics from my okay. day job office, Will Ashton. What do you, sure. you think they would let me do that? I don't know. No, they wouldn't. They'd be like, are you I'm, joking? I, I got to do actual work. I'm not quite sure. No, I have an office in my house. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I'm. I'm in my office right now. You could kick down. The, I don't know where you are. You could be kicking down the door any second. I got to be careful. I can't say anything wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Could have like, yeah, Another thing about you're like yeah. Another thing about Clint Eastwood. Will. Will. Yeah. And just like I kicked the door yeah. open. I was curious why your yeah. cell phone camera on the on the live feed was like mm. so dark. Like you were going down a tunnel. Like you were driving down the mean streets of oakland california <laughs> but yeah anyway no we're gonna talk about crime macho first and i think in all action in all in all seriousness i think we're gonna talk about crime macho first i think it's the bigger movie i mean i've got to be objective here i might i might think that it sucks but you know people it's people watch it more people i think it's potentially the last eastwood i don't know i mean who knows sure but it could, could be i mean very he's well 91. Be, yeah which i mean defies all odds that he during a pandemic directed and starred in a major feature film it's the only thing impressive about that film if you ask me we'll get to it later 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, but, as you'll, yeah, as you'll notice mean, from our review, I think there's going to be some difference of opinion on that movie. I mean, there was a time where people thought Gran Torino would be the last movie. I thought that. I, I, w- I remember being in the theater. I remember thinking, this is mm-hmm. it. No more Clint yeah. Eastwood after this. I was dumb and wrong. Did you think that would be the last one he directed? Yeah. Or just starred in? You thought both. it would be both. I thought, th- I thought that was okay. his epitaph. I thought he would probably retire after that movie. That's why I watched it in the I theater. Thought, sure. Um, I wasn't old enough to see it at the theater at the time, but I thought... I didn't think it was the last one he'd direct, but I did think it was the last one he'd star in. So that's why I was really surprised. Because I know he did Trouble with the Curve, which was like, you know, a bit of a curveball, fittingly. It was like, okay, I guess this is the last one. And then he's like, nope, I'm doing the mule. And it's like, oh, okay, Uh, I guess that's the last one. And he's like, nope, cry macho. And so, I don't know, maybe in 2024, he's going to be like, I'm starring in Bloodwork 2, bloodier work. And it's like, all right, you're 95 years old, but okay, let's do this. I do, I do want to say, you know, we're going to get to our Cry Macho review. We're going to get all the way through it. We're going to talk about Clint Eastwood. We're going to talk about his filmography. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not a Clint Eastwood fan. I have stuck up for Clint East, a couple of Clint Eastwood movies. One in particular that Will Ashen to this day does not respect that I find. Uh, paint Your Wagon? No, Sully. But we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, so we're, we're, we're some, int- I think we're actually, we're two sides of the same Clint Eastwood fan coin, if that's a thing. That's why I find, yeah. I mean, not to give away your opinion of the film, but I already gave you, away. <laughs> sure. Of. You can, you to privately to me called this film embarrassing, yeah. which I find odd considering that I think at least in some respect or another, most of Clint Eastwood's filmmaking has been embarrassing in some respect or another. It's that embarrassment. So like, you know, American Sniper sure. has the infamous baby scene, right? But you got to yes. you got to give that movie other stuff. I mean, J. Edgar has. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, J. Edgar. I mean, like what's what's going on with um, what's his face is uh, uh, Army Hammer's makeup in that movie. <laughs> I mean, look, that was that was peak DiCaprio wants an Oscar more than he wants. Sure. You know, like anything else in the entire galaxy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. I'm kinder on Jersey Boys and some, but I know some people consider that film to be an embarrassment for Eastwood. I consider 1517 to Paris a bit of an embarrassment. See, I still haven't even even seen that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even that crazy about The Mule. I know some people like that one. Um, but there's a whole... There are two... Well, not not count, not uh, not to downplay it. He has two scenes where he has three sons with 20-year-olds in that film. So I don't know how you can walk away uh, saying that Cry Macho is the more egregious Vandy project, but uh, that's that's a John. I mean, you're putting problem. words into my mouth. But we haven't even gotten to the review yet. First, we gotta we have other stuff to get to because we're look. We're gonna talk about Cry Macho. Everybody's waiting for it, but we don't want to. Hey, look, you know, we don't we don't want to start. You know, the tears haven't started flowing yet. Let's say that we are gonna talk about the eyes of Tammy Faye, which I'm excited to talk about. That's that's my movie of the week. If I if I had a movie this week, I'm gonna talk about the most. It is that movie. I'm so pumped sure. to talk to you about it. I know that you were going to have different opinions, but I don't care. I, I want to talk to my friend Will about this movie. I, I don't know. It depends on how high you're on that film, but we can well, talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I think you'll be a little surprised. And if you think I'm going to gush all over it, you know, you can relax. Sure. But uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland will end on that. I'll do my best to remember as much as I can from that movie. I promised you, Will, in private, I'd watch the trailer. I did not. I broke my promise, and I'm sorry about that. I don't think I actually literally promised okay. it, but whatever. But first, Will, look, we, we got a couple more things to get to. Two big things in Off Topics. The first thing is, TIFF is over. I watched eight yes. films from TIFF. Not a lot. 
I I really yeah, kept that's, it. That's, I was on those vacation. Are rookie numbers. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And, and you know what? I have my reasons. We talked about it last week. Sure. The reason I didn't get into much tip content this year, and I, I actually still have a few screeners I am going to get to, so I won't end at eight. I'll probably watch eleven or twelve by the end of it. But the reason is because virtual twi- tiff was a different thing. I mean, there really wasn't much to watch that was like notable enough. And I was also on vacation. So I decided I made a choice that I was going to do some self-care. I wasn't just going to watch a bunch of movies. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to do some other activities. I did some meditation things. I kind of, you know what? I had some, I relaxed. Well, you know, I read some books. I went, I got through a couple books. I've been meaning to finish. It was fantastic. I had a great vacation. I finished, I finished the eye of the world and I started on the great hunt and the wheel of time. Uh, which is okay. like 11 books and I'm powering through that. I read foundation by Isaac, Isaac Asimov loved it. I, I can't believe okay. it's taking me this long to get to that book and I haven't finished it, but I, I started the new Sally Rooney book. Sally Rooney, of course, the author of normal people. She, oh yeah, yeah. I've heard that's good. I have that book right here. It's called uh, beautiful world. Where are you? And mm-hmm. Will Ashton, I am loving it so much. Sally Rooney speaks to me in a way that I don't understand. And few people, few people get, I'll say that much, mm-hmm. but okay. yeah, so that was, that was my TIFF vacation. Um, and then you're going to talk about two movies and off topics. Um, sure. why don't we start with that? Because I, I want to start, I okay. want to hear about card counter because that's the new Paul okay. Schrader film. And that is the movie yes. that I think a lot of people are like, where, where are John Will's review? They should be talking about the movie mm-hmm. last week. And they're probably looking at this yes. and they're being like, cry macho. What about cry card counter? And I, I wasn't able to see it. I wasn't, I didn't get a screener. I wasn't able to get yeah, to a screening. I know. And you know what? Delta is still a thing. I, I'm still kind of nervous about going to public screenings. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I'm kind of trying yeah. to really balance that whole thing. I, I am seeing a, a few things here and there if I can, especially if it's a smaller thing. But Card Counter, I didn't see it. Will, you did. What is your verdict mm-hmm. on Card Counter? What, is even, what even is this movie? The only thing I know about it is Paul Schrader. I know Oscar Isaac's in it. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Schrader is in it, um, Ty Sheridan is in it, Tiffany Haddish is in it, and Willem Dafoe is in it. Um, it cast. is Paul Schrader's follow-up to First Reform, which is his, uh, I guess, return to form, yeah, I mean, uh, no movie. pun intended. I mean, and it's the yeah. card counter, not card counter, sorry. Yes, the card counter. Um, yeah, so I think, because before that, there was like the whole like the Canyons period for Paul Schrader, where he either didn't have full creative control over his films, or he uh, just was like what he wanted to execute with his films just wasn't coming to well, be can, for a number of can reasons. Can we get this out of the way? Because I don't think everybody listening sure. is caught up on the legend status of Paul Schrader. I mean, this is the screenwriter of some of the most influential films of all time. We're talking about Taxi yes. Driver in 1976, Raging mm-hmm. Bull in 1980, and The Last Temptation of Christ in 1988 among many other films he's directed a lot of films i think almost 20 but i'd say that yeah yeah this guy is a legend and gotta give him some respect yeah i mean maybe one of the most fascinating stories in hollywood just in terms of being i think he he grew up in a fairly like celibate household if i'm not uh mistaken to the point where i don't think he actually saw a film for the first time until he was in college he was also severely addicted to cocaine and i mean this guy he's lived a life i mean if you go through his stuff he was raised like you said very strict religious i think he was um calvinist he was episcopalian you can see that a lot in last temptation of christ i mean you can see it all over his movies Mm -hmm. in terms of like how religion informs his 
his entire way of being and his worldview. I mean, it's very complicated stuff and it's always full of really interesting ideology. I really like, I, I really like his approach to life and how he expresses himself through his films in that way. Yeah. So there is a purveying sense of like, uh, be it like religious guilt or some sort of fundamental sense of like anguish or guilt, uh, that permeates throughout most, if not all of his films. And that is no exception with the card counter, which, uh, you could look at as like the like fifteenth time he's made a film about uh, a sullen character uh, in a uh, darkened room writing in a journal his like personal tormented feelings. I mean, that's the main criticism I've heard of this film is it doesn't really tread new territory for him as a screenwriter or a director. I don't know if that's true. I though. guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's a criticism that I have necessarily, but I can understand if someone. If you go from seeing this film to First Reformed, I could see some folks, if you're just looking at from a surface level uh, opinion, you could see it as maybe like kind of retreading similar ground. But uh, I think, and this is where I kind of have to, to walk on eggshells a bit. The trailer for the movie sells it as like, hey, here's this eccentric card player guy who, you know, kind of like tries to one-up the system and all this stuff, which isn't necessarily false, but... I don't know if you've heard, the real plot of the film is uh, a notably darker, more uh, um, political and angry film than uh, I think the marketing, at least, or focus features wanted uh, people to know. But I was, uh, uh, frankly, kind of taken aback by uh, how much um, uh, the movie is about Guantanamo Bay. I won't give away anything more than Uh. that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I got to say, I knew sure. that since this premiered at Venice, I haven't read any reviews. I don't know the synopsis. I hear card counter. I think of 21. I think of Blackjack. So <laughs> I have sure. no idea why Guantanamo Bay would play a role in that at all. Yes. And I don't want it. That's why I'm trying not to give anything else away. But um, yeah, so I think the movie, it, it is both exactly what you expect and not what you expect. And I mean that in a good way, because I think. What I find so appealing about the film is that it is, like we said, kind of playing into the traditional kind of like anguish male thing that we expect from Paul Schrader. But at the same time, it's also a very interesting premise in that like a man uses his like um, like uh, desire to kind of walk through life, like hiding and reserving his feelings to like basically make the perfect poker face and excel at poker. And I think that's a really interesting dichotomy. And I think that premise, I don't think it's quite as good as first reformed as far as like finding that like Paul Schrader balance of like his inner political feelings and a narrative form. Cause there are a couple hiccups here, especially there are one or two scenes that I know they're filming this. I think they finished filming just before COVID. And I think they had like one or two scenes they had to pick up after, like during COVID and, it, and it's not seamless. I remember hearing the new, yeah, yeah, they started filming this in like late February, 2020. I mean, we're talking weeks before pandemic stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I think they paused production. Yeah. Yeah. But there are like one or two scenes that in the third act just kind of feel like they had to go through like a hiccup of being filmed during the pandemic. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, it happens. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I think, I would say it's probably like quintessential B territory Paul Schrader in that I think it's not without it's kind of like flat terse moments. Um, I, I think Paul Schrader can sometimes be a little too like um, maybe not cerebral, but like a little too like 
verbose in that like he just has the characters kind of explicitly saying things as opposed to just showing them uh there are some char- uh, supporting characters that i think kind of come off a bit um uh like a bit broad a, a bit blase i guess in terms of like how he wants to communicate okay. the broader themes of the film but i think uh, Oscar Isaac is very good in this, as he usually always is. I think he channels like the the complexity of the characters in very interesting and dynamic ways. And one thing I love about the film is that uh, it captures like it's you can smell the like uh, like cheap liquor in every like hotel and um, um, uh, casino in the film. Like even it, it's like a film that has like its own like kind of smell vision and far as just like make you feel like you are actually living and breathing in a really uh, just tacky uh, environment. And I think Paul Schrader is really good just like, capturing just kind of like the empty vacantness of these um uh, different casinos, but also capturing what makes them so intoxicating and so alluring for not only our characters, but just in general. And I think that's where the movie really excels. I think the character dynamics, I think capturing the inner torment of the character, the main character uh, is, uh, is quite solid. And uh, yeah, I mean, right. not my favorite Paul Schrader, but a solid film. So I mean, that sounds I good to me. It. This sounds like a footnote kind of movie, but okay. Brass tacks will. Okay. You know that I liked first reformed a lot. It was one of my favorite films of that year. If I'm, I think 2019 mm-hmm. or 2018, one of those years. So bring it down to earth. Should I, wa- I'm going to watch this movie no matter what. Should I try to arrange to see this safely in a movie theater? Or do you think this is the kind of thing where I was like, you know what? Just, just, just watch it on streaming or whatever. You like, you don't have to rush out. Um, I think it definitely, I mean, I got to see it in theaters. I, I'm glad I saw it in theaters because I think, like I said, it's very good about enveloping you into the uh, kind of perverse and sullen mindset of the main character. But I think for certain audiences, this is not going to be a crowd pleaser. So I think uh, your mileage may vary. And I think what you get out of the film may not be what I get out of the film mm. or someone else gets out of the well, film. It sounds like I think for you, I think I, it sounds like you're hedging your bets. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you would like it though. I think, I think you would like it at home or in a theater. If you can't see it in a theater, I think that's the way to go. Okay. If you see it at home, I don't think you're going to lose anything. I'll have to make that deliberation myself, but I appreciate the advice. This next movie, though, Blue Bayou. So, okay, I I should say, in terms of music, Blue Bayou, I mean, that's one of my favorite songs. We're, we're getting into a song. I mean, I feel so bad. I got a worried mind. I'm so lonesome all the time since I left my baby behind on Blue Bayou. So... So, Will, you know, that is like the main reason. I mean, Alicia Vikander's in it, of course, Justin Sean. But there's this new movie that Justin Sean directed, of course. He stars in it with Alicia Vikander and Mark O'Brien. I have been so nervous about biting the bullet on this movie. I wasn't able to get a screener for this either. They were like, sorry, we're only doing mm-hmm. screenings and I couldn't do the screening. I had TIFF going on. And I'm surprised about that because they, they offered a screener link for me. I think I was too late. I, I think that I, okay. I waited too long. And, you know, I, I look, my vacation was coming up. I didn't want to I didn't want to commit to anything, ask for a screener. And then I have to review. And then again, I had my vacation. I wanted to relax. I made a mistake. Well, let's just leave it at that. But I, I remember seeing the marquee for Blue Bayou and I'm starting to kind of regret it. I kind of want to watch this movie a lot, even though, especially compared to Card Counter, the reviews aren't as good. Now, look, Card Counter, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie, 74. So like, we're still talking about something that critics are generally liking. But what about you? 
also isn't this also uh focus features am i right about that yeah that's what i found weird is that they released i think two films uh back to back like a week apart uh or, classic yeah i think about a week apart yeah um and then they had Stillwater earlier this summer um so i don't think at least financially they're not uh hitting it out of the park though i did really weird, like Stillwater. Weird i don't year. Think I ever had a chance to talk weird year yeah. for focus um but yeah but blue Bayou. um this is i i'll start with the positives i guess um I was really taken by the trailer for the film because I think visually speaking, I, I really appreciate what Justin Chan is doing. I was only the only familiarity I had with him, I think, before this was um, 21 and over. I believe he was in, um, if I re- remember correctly. Uh, I, I haven't seen any of the other films that he directed. I know he was like kind of uh, becoming a bit of a festival yeah. darling in terms of uh, acting, writing and starring in a number of films. Yeah, we should say he's a YouTube guy. All right. Um, is he? he is. Okay. He is. And he's directed two other films. I don't know about 21 and over. I, I don't know if you know something I don't, but he directed two films called Gook in 2017, a racial slur, of course. So I say that just saying the name of the film and uh, Miss yeah, Purple. I didn't want to say it. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. you know, hey, there you go. Uh, Miss Purple, which he did a couple of years back. And then he he was in. It's funny because, Will, you and I were talking about Anna Kendrick in the pre-show when we were talking about the Twilight movies a little bit. He was he was a character in that film, if I recall, and he was in a K-pop parody band um, called Boys Generally Asian. Um, so those are some of his bona fides. I mean, the, the guy the guy's done other things. I think he was in um, Coming Home Again. He was in Heartbeats, mm-hmm. a few other things. Uh, but yeah, in terms in terms of directing, um, I don't know anything. I don't know where you heard Twenty One and Over. I don't know what that is. I do not know. That was the um, the screenwriters for The Hangover made uh, another film. They, I think it was like their directorial debut okay. before Bad Moms, uh, and he plays the like um, the Doug S character that the main hmm. uh, leads have to find uh, during a one night drunken debauchery moment. But in any well, case, well, hey, can I can I mi- sorry one more thing because yeah. also before the before the when we were doing the pre show, we talked a lot about Disney stuff. We talked about Hilary Duff, of course. He also was in Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior. I know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was in that with Brenda Song. I that. So, hey, mm-hmm. respect your roots. Yeah, sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, all that to say, if I was familiar much with Justin Chan, I was just familiar with his acting. I didn't know anything about him as a filmmaker. Uh, and I think the movie itself, Blue Bayou, it starts off strong because, like I said, he's only done, I think he's on, like, what, like three or four films uh, prior to this, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but still, I think, you know, coming into his own as a filmmaker. But he, I think he's really good about capturing an authorial sense of place and time. I think shooting the film on 60 millimeter, shooting it in the South, there is a uh, like kind of breathed in, lived in texture to the film that in the earlier moments, I think is really strong and really evocative uh, in a way that helps you get into the mindset and the realities of the lead characters. Uh, and I think the movie is at its best when it just lets those characters feel lived in and present. But I think the main issue I have with the film is that as a screenwriter, Justin Chan seems to be so preoccupied with doing like seemingly everything, especially towards the third act in that he introduces like, I think two or three subplots, more subplots than he needed to the point where I think the film's 
uh, inherent simplicity kind of gets weighed down by him trying to introduce all these different ideas, all these different concepts that don't quite have the elegance, I think, of the earlier moments. And even then, some of the, the themes don't come together quite as naturally. I think his screenplay, just it just needed more work. It wasn't quite as organic as I think his uh, directorial influences are trying to be. And I think that's a shame because I think, generally speaking, the performances are strong, particularly from, I think, Justin Chong. I think his performance is very uh, heartfelt and earnest, and I think he is doing a lot of his own heavy lifting. But I just think that the the screenplay, like I said, it's – I don't want to go to the point where I say it's like hackneyed or anything, but I just don't – I think it's a little bit over route. Like I think he's just trying to do too much and say too much for one film. And it doesn't help that – I think a lot of the directorial touches borrow a lot from The Place Beyond the Pines, which I think is ultimately a better film. And, you know, I, I, I just don't think, generally speaking, it's it's good to uh, constantly think about another better film while you're watching something mm-hmm. else. But nevertheless, I don't think it's awful. Like, it's it's a movie I've gone back and forth say, on in terms of, like, whether... See, I don't know, Will, because you're saying a yeah. bunch of things I usually don't care about that much in movies. It sounds like I could still like this and overlook the problems. I think that's why I was hoping you would get a chance to see it because I think you would like it, and I don't dislike it per se. I Do think I'm more just kind of mixed on it. Do they play the Roy, the, in, the Roy Orbison song? Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. I'm gonna watch it. I mean, done deal. That's all you yeah. had to say. <laughs> Sold. Are you talking about the the song in the trailer? I'm going back someday. Come what made a blue by you, where the folks are fun and the world oh, is mine. On blue you by you, the, it's one of the greatest um, songs ever written. Yeah, they um. Uh, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but um, Alicia Vikander sings that during oh, a pretty prominent Oh, give it to me right now. I'm, sorry, Will, I'm, we're going to have to pause the podcast. I got to go. I got to watch it. Well, I hope you can see it safely. Then. I know. I, uh, that's the th- yeah. That is the thing that's getting in the way a little bit there. So I'm going to try. Yeah. Hey, maybe maybe I'll feel better again on Blue Bayou. That's yeah. a lyric from the song. Sure. I mean, yeah, it, the, the song I should mention is pretty prominently, like I said, in the that's film. That's all I need but, to know. Um, that's it. But I think, I don't know, like I say, this is my, I know it's not his first film, but it's the first film I think that's gotten like a wide release and gotten uh, prominent uh, media attention. So I, I, I hope this leads to other better things for him. I don't think this is quite the calling card that he was hoping it would be, but I don't think it's um, like a, an absolute misstep. I just think it's almost there. It just kind of gets weighed down by its uh its, its own uh faults as a screen it's terms of its screenplay but if you know if he can hand over screenwriting duties to uh, someone else to just kind of focus on his acting and directing for the next film i think he might make a really solid good film uh, and i think he's almost there with this one but it's not not quite there mm. but I, I will say i think it's hard to watch that end scene without giving anything away and not like have your heart ripped out so i think he's on to something i think even when it does get a little overladen, I think he still was able to capture some something very raw and emotional with his characters. And I think if he keeps making films, he's really gonna he's gonna figure it out. I think sooner as opposed to later, and maybe he has with other films. I just don't know. But uh, I think he's 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 on the way. Like there's some really gorgeous things in this, especially the opening shot of this film is just just like stunning. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like it's almost there, just not quite. I'm making it my mission now. Cause I want, I want Justin Sean to hear your advice. So I'm going to, I'm going to find a way I'm going to get this in front of his desk and find a way to get your thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to put this into a clip. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. And I'm going to, I want him to hear what you had to say about that and him be like, you know what, Will Ashton, that's a good idea. You know? Yeah. I, I don't, um, I, I haven't checked the run tomatoes for it, but 74%. I think it's not doing, 
Is it doing actually that well? Yeah, it's I, doing I know, right. like, on out of 43 reviews. And, and hey, Will Ashton, you know what? Like, I'm editor of the mm-hmm. Young Folks, and you were going to do a review for the Young Folks for this movie. You could mm-hmm. bump that up to a 75 if you're so lucky. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I just know on my letterbox, at least, it's not, it's basically getting uh, panned. But that's letterbox. Just based I on mean, my what audience. are you going to do? I mean, the letterbox curve is real. Yeah. I mean, just based on the audience I saw it with, they were more taken than not by and and that's uh that's pretty much a good sign so i mean like i said i think i think justin chan chan is on the way i think he has a really good film in him i don't think this is quite it unfortunately even though i do think the trailer uh is quite good if you ever get a chance to check it out but um yeah it's it's almost there just didn't quite work all the way for me well i'll be honest with you will i try not to listen too intently to your review because i want to watch it as fresh as i can so i tuned out a little bit i'm sorry it's not you it's me i but what i did was i was like all right well i want to know sure. more about this movie 21 and over because it sounded vaguely familiar but i was like i don't know this movie i don't mm. know who what what so i looked it up sure. it's 2013 comedy it is starting mm-hmm. to come back to me a bit i kind of remember this movie mainly because i saw that miles teller and skylar Aston were and i was like mm-hmm. okay I think I saw the poster for this at one point. I was walking through a Regal. I was walking through a Cinemark. Who cares? I saw the poster for 21 and over. I don't remember seeing Justin Sean in it because I don't think I saw the movie. So, I, I, you know, it's one of those things. That said, uh, you know what? I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in uh, in Blue Bayou. I, I'm more interested than I was before. So there's sure. that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think honestly, you would probably take it a good bit. And I think. I, I, I'm bummed that you didn't get a chance to see it because I would like to yeah. go back and forth a little bit more seems in like, depth about seems it. Seems like but, my thing. We'll, we'll talk about You know what? The yeah. listeners won't get to hear it, but you and I will get to chat about it in the chat. And the listeners, sure. you know what? I'm sorry, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. We got other movies to get to. We got other conversations and heated I debates. Mean, if by chance you do happen to see it this week, I guess we could do a bonus episode, but that depends on our availability. I mean, our availability, it's always so limited. I mean, look at the look sure. at this stacked lineup. I still haven't talked about TIFF. Tiff just ended. Okay. So I saw, I said I saw eight movies and it, it, like, like you said, I mean, that's kid stuff. I mean, that's amateur hour. I mean, usually when we're doing festivals and we're committing, I mean, we're watching like 30 to 40 films for the festival. For me, I didn't, I, I saw eight and I was very particular about, I watched about what I watched. That was the reason. And I think the main thing was that there weren't a lot of things I wanted to watch at Tiff that I could watch. We, I talked about this last week. I don't want this to sound like first world problems. I don't want people to listen to this and be like, John, you don't appreciate, you don't, you're not thankful for what you're getting out of life. And so I want to avoid that trap. I don't want to fall into that. Uh, the, the thing is that the sad reality of my TIFF access this year, I could have gone to Toronto. I would have been able to get like, I would have been able to see some of these films in person, but I made the choice to not go to Toronto for safety reasons because I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to get Delta. Uh, I am vaccinated, but you know, I, I live with people. I'm around people who are immunocompromised, who are high risk. So I'm making a choice for myself and my family that I'm not going to put myself in very risky situations. In fact, during TIFF, you know, Dune happened. They showed Dune at, in Toronto and somebody had COVID and they potentially spread it to other people. So that's, that's the sort of thing I'm trying to avoid. Now, we also talked about this last week. I was able to watch some films that were a surprise. And that was kind of cool because I was able to sit down, watch some movies that I hadn't heard of before that I, there weren't, there wasn't like a lot of hype behind them. I 
didn't do a ton of research. I just went onto the the press TIFF portal or whatever, and I looked through some films and there were a few things that I had heard, like some other colleagues were like, hey, I just watched this. I just watched that. There were some things where people were like, hey, I watched this and it sucked. And I was like, yeah, I'll watch it too. Uh, I, wasn't, I was trying to be, you know, I wasn't trying to chase the trends, you know, because I wanted to, I wanted to be surprised. I, there are a lot of things that I watched that other people hate and I end up loving. So I wanted to make sure I was making room for that sort of thing. So of the eight films I saw, I'm happy to say I didn't hate anything that I saw. I, I think I liked most movies that I watched. I saw The Wheel, which will I don't I don't know if you've heard anything about The Wheel yet. I I was hoping you'd be able to see it. And The Wheel, it's my gosh, uh, what a traumatic movie. I mean, this one was directed by Steve Pink, which I think that perked up your ears a little bit. Uh, Trent Atkinson wrote the film, but. Yeah, man, this movie, this movie hit me so hard. It is a drama about this couple who, you know, they go to, they're going camping. Basically, they go to this Airbnb cabin to try to save their marriage. They've been married since they were teenagers. They've been married for eight years and they're having a hard go of it. And this movie's called The Wheel and its pivotal scene is on a Ferris wheel. You know it's coming. You're watching the movie early on. They pass by a Ferris wheel and you're like, yeah, that's where the climax is going to happen. And sure enough. And it's one of those movies about relationships and about couples that have to face all these difficult realities in order to stay together or to break apart that kind of devastated me, Will. I, like, I don't want to oversell it. I don't want people. To, I don't want people to think that this movie is like a a powerhouse in terms of emotion, but it is pretty powerful. Another film I saw, this was probably the best film that I saw. I'll get right to that. Petite Maman. This is the latest film from Scalene Siama. She did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And Petite Maman, I mean, I, I'm not going to say too much about it because it's one of those, like, just watch it. Like, you don't need to know anything else about it. It's it's one of those films where the child star performance is going to blow you away. It's going to take you by storm. And it, it's a sweet, small French film. It's so short. It's it's barely 72 minutes long. And it's just one of those like life-affirming French films. And I, I shouldn't say it like that because I think a lot of French films tend to make me feel existential. They tend to make me think about humanity and the perils of our social structures. And I think French films in general tend to make me feel a little depressed, a little sad. Patima Mon is so uplifting. I mean, it, it deals in depressing subject matter. It's it's not it's not leaning into like positivity for the sake of it, but it's using sadness. It's using things that are very difficult to think about, grief and loss but it's therapeutic tools with like a little bit of a sci-fi twist. There's something in this movie that I won't give away that is so different and original. It's the most original film that I saw this year. Speaking of Aloners, this is another film that I saw. And well, I don't know if you heard anything about Aloners, probably not, uh, because I think that it's, it's kind of, I don't think it's under the radar in a big way, but it is a, I think it's a Korean film, if I'm not mistaken. It's directed by Hong Soon-un, and it's direct, It's also written by Hong Soon-un as well. But this is a film that really took me by surprise, because Will Ashton, when we're talking about COVID, this is not a movie about COVID, but in terms of what COVID has sort of taught us about ourselves, would you say, Will Ashton, you're an introvert? 
I'm just going to ask you that plain out. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I am. I'm an introvert mm-hmm. as well. I'm very introverted. And Aloners is one of the most refreshing takes on introversion I've seen this year. I mean, it has some, it has something so deliciously avant-garde to say about introversion and extroversion. If you're not sure what I'm talking about there, this idea that COVID in general put us through something. It, it sort of forced people who are extroverted to be by themselves. And I, I can't stress enough, Aloners is not a COVID film. It doesn't take place during COVID or anything like that. But it is about a young woman who is very secluded from the world. I mean, she goes to, she wakes up in a little like one room apartment. She goes to work, she comes home and that's how she likes it. And this movie deals with like the realities of being alone and whether or not you want to be alone and why people want alone time, why they want to be introverted, why they want to be extroverted. And this movie ends with such a gut punch. I mean, it really hit me. It's not the most like flashy movie. I'm not saying you're going to be transfixed the entire way through, but it's such a simple, sweet movie about this sort of thing that I, I found particularly nuanced about introversion in a way that I haven't seen another movie really do in a specific way before. And that said, the movie I, I disliked the most, you know, I liked all these films. There was one that I didn't really like. There was one that I was really like, okay, can we just end Lakewood? Did you, did you hear about Lakewood, Will? The Naomi Watts. Oh, I heard that one was not very it's good. It's not. I mean, look, so this is one of those movies and the whole movie is Naomi Watts is a mother and we catch her in this in the very beginning of the film. She's on a jog and the whole movie is through her perspective as there's a school shooting that her kids might be involved in. And she's learning all this information while she's out like jogging and so she can't get back to the school and she's like calling people. That's the whole movie, right? It's like buried. It's, it's a bottle episode. It's you're, you're in one location, basically not, sorry, I shouldn't say that you're not really in one location, but it's, it's basically a movie happening in real time. And the whole thing is about the urgency of like gun control. It's the urgency of like school shootings. And there are two other movies, two other festival movies that have done this so much better this year. That's mass. And that's the fallout. Great movies. I really enjoyed them. I'd say the fallout is the better of the two. I think some people would disagree. I think mass really good performances and it's a simpler, more efficient movie, but the fallout was the one that I, I don't know. I, I, I had a little bit more fun with, uh, and fun is probably not the right word because it's not fun subject matter. It's very sad subject matter, honestly, but Lakewood, I mean, it's the gimmicky one it, of those three. It's the one with the tries to resolve all this stuff to a gimmick of Naomi Watts running around and she's doing her best as an actor, but yeah, Lakewood, I mean, I, I, I was feeling sore and fatigued just watching it. And I got to say, yeah, as a short film, this could have worked as however long it was. It felt two hours. It was probably like an hour and a half. I wasn't a fan. Ahead's Knee is another film that I checked out that I I enjoyed a good bit. I I thought this was an interesting film. If you like movies that are about filmmakers, and if you like films that that take place in a different place, this one takes place in Israel. And it's about an Israeli filmmaker who, you know, he's kind of getting on in life. He's a little bit older and he has a new movie coming out. He's working on a new movie. We catch him when he's in the middle of promoting a film that is like about to come out. And look, there's not much to this movie, but in terms of like the creative process, 
And in terms of making art, when you live in a country like Israel or like America, where things have to be politically correct in order for people to approve, it's a, it's a pretty striking movie. And I enjoyed it quite a good bit. There were times in this movie where I was just like, if Will Ashton, William T., if he was a film director, I, I think that this would be him at age 50. Like, I think this is, Will, I think this is the path you would eventually go down. And I say that not just to invite you to watch this film at some point when you can to prove me right or prove me wrong, because I, I genuinely believe you would be like this. But, you know, that could just be me wishing to the wind in, in a small way. So I'm just going to put that out there. So that's Ah Heads Knee. I also saw Jagged, the Alanis Morissette documentary. I did. A, it's the only TIFF review yeah. I have so far. And. It's a controversial one. Controversial? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, is this controversial? Well, yeah. Alanis Morissette came out and was just like, I don't care about this documentary. It sucks. The director sucks. And you suck for watching it. And I think it's all marketing. I think she's just trying to get people to be like, I got to watch this now. But yet- I don't know. I mean, that's pretty punk rock. Isn't it? Way to respond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I should say, so Jagged, it's a documentary about Jagged Little Pill which is Alanis Morissette's debut album. It's really the, for her first big album. The documentary kind of covers is how it, she, she tried to be like a teen uh, pop star. She tried to be Robin Sparkles, yeah. you know, from How I Met right. Your Mother in Canada right. uh, during the mm-hmm. 1980s. But Jagged Little Pill, I mean, that is like an album. Okay, it's, in my opinion, one of the best albums of the 90s. I don't know sure. if you would agree. Well, I was going to say, is this like, uh, did she really ever... Eclipse at success. I, no, I, I don't not know even close. Ever, not even I was gonna say, close. Well, that's what I was going to say. She yeah. had hits afterwards. She had Thank You sure. in her follow-up album, which is a good song. Yeah, but I mean, like, she had hit singles. Yeah. Did she ever have, like, another no, hit album no, like no. this? I'm not not to this say, scale. Yeah. Not even close. I mean, right. Jagged Little Pill right. was a phenomenon. I mean, I remember I was, I was a kid. I was little. Well, I think you were still, like, about to be born or something. I don't remember, but... I, it's 95, you know, and I knew about this album at age five. <laughs> like you ought to know ironic. I mean, these songs were everywhere back in the day and we all knew them. We all do them by heart. It's like rain on your wedding day. And Jagged is a fun documentary and sort of like recapturing that moment in time and kind of going through it. And I should say Alanis, she is the primary talking head in this. It's a talking head sort of music documentary. And in my review, I sort of like bemoaned how a lot of documentaries these days about musical artists, God, they feel like press releases. They really do. You know, it's so manufactured. It's so marketing. I mean, all she's, she's promoting a new album, of course, that she's coming out with in 2021. Allison Clayman is the director here. She directed The Brink, which I actually thought was a pretty interesting documentary back in 2018. And in this movie, you know, like she's kind of going for it a bit. And I respect Alison Clayman a lot. And I think Alison, Alanis Morissette has come out and been like, this is not the documentary I wanted to make. This was supposed to be a 25th anniversary of Jagged Little Pill. It is. I don't understand what she's complaining about. That's exactly what this is. This, this documentary is so tame. It's so on the side of Alanis Morissette. Like I am so shocked that she's making a stink about it unless she's just trying to draw attention to it and make a publicity stunt out of it. That's my take at this current moment. But at the same time, yeah, sure. The documentary does cover a few things that are less than, you know, exemplary in Alanis Morissette's career. Talking about things about how her bandmates were kind of like, 
you know, try to lure fans of Alanis like into like a secret room they had to have sex with them. There's there's some scandalous stuff in here. But at the same time, and th- this movie is firmly on Alanis' side in every which way. So I don't know. I found it a little weird. Look, it's a documentary we're checking out. It's going to be coming to HBO in November. The Ringer helped make this, which I was kind of surprised. I know The Ringer was kind of like in that game. But okay, cool. Let's go. Let's see what they have to say uh, film-wise. You know, not just talking about film, but making film. So yeah, uh, Jagged is something I think, Will, you and I are going to have to talk about in a later date. Okay. My favorite film of the festival. I'll, I'll say real quick. This is not my favorite film, but Where is Anne Frank? Also enjoyed that. That that premiered at a couple other festivals, I think. That's the That's animated the, uh, animated documentary no it's an animated narrative film about anne okay. frank's imaginary friend kitty so if you read the diary of anne frank mm-hmm. i read it in school Anne frank yeah. uh, during the holocaust uh so if you don't know the story anne frank was a young jewish girl in poland who was in a hiding place with her family and another family during the oppression of the jewish people during world war ii and so this movie is about in her diary, she's writing to an imaginary friend named Kitty. And in this movie, Kitty sort of comes to life in the modern day and is trying to find Anne Frank. That's set up. Touching movie. It's sweet. The animation Sounds very is sad. gorgeous. It's so sad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was going to say. There are some things that happen in it. You know, they're trying to liken sort of the the Jewish plight in the 1940s to the Syrian refugee crisis that is still ongoing. But particularly, I think when they were making this film, it was as pronounced as ever. And I think that it, it doesn't always hit in that emotional department. But yeah, whereas Anne Frank, very, very sweet, tender and mel- and uh, melancholic film, I would definitely say definitely worth watching. If, if you're a fan of animation, it's a must watch uh, because I think what they do with hand-drawn animation in this film is very remarkable, uh, especially with the subject matter involved. You, you don't usually see stuff like this. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. So the director is it the Waltz for Bashir director, um, Ari Fullman. Yes, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So Ari Fullman is the director and the writer. Yes. Yeah. So I I love yeah. Waltz with Bashir, and I like the Congress as well. Not quite as much, but Waltz with Bashir. Um, I, I haven't that. seen it, but I, yeah, yeah. Made in Israel, the Congress, good films uh, from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So I was I was curious to see this film. Yeah, I, th- I think will you know it. I don't know if you'll love it, but I think that you might you might respect it. Uh, at, I think at the very least. But the best film that I saw, the film that I'm thinking about even to this point, is Seven Prisoners. I don't know if you heard about this one either, but this is a Brazilian film, and I think the last Brazilian film we talked about on Cinemaholics was uh, Baccarat, which we reviewed last summer. And this latest film, it was directed by Alexandre Murato who uh, I don't know if people have seen uh, not, uh, Socrates, uh, his film that he also did, but this movie, Seven Prisoners, I won't get into a ton of detail, but it's one of those movies. I mean, it, it look, I, I'm just going to be straight up here. I think TIFF, in general, it didn't the, the films that I saw, it didn't produce some of my favorite films of the year. That's just how it turned out. But in terms of Seven Prisoners, I, I think that it came the closest. And this movie... It's set in Sao Paulo, which I've been to. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Sao Paulo. And it was kind of cool to to sort of see this location again. It's been about a decade since I was there. And I'd say that it's a drama for sure. But it's also very much about power. It's about the systems that sort of enslave human beings. 
how does a person become evil? How does a person get to a point where they're willing to enslave others? It is a very unfortunately frank and unflinching sort of film depicting modern slavery and how that works and how it happens in a way that I think is very uncomfortable for many. And I think it's a must watch in that sense. In terms of its social allegory, it's a must watch because I think that it covers some material that is not easy. And that's why I like it the most. And this movie takes you on a roller coaster. I mean, you're going through it and like you get to a point where you kind of see, okay, yeah, I know what's going to happen. And it's not the most surprising film, but I think that's what is the most haunting thing about it, if that makes any sense. So I can't wait, Will, for you to watch it because I really want to dish about it with you. But that was my TIFF experience. I mean, I saw Eyes of Tammy Faye as well which was a TIFF film, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to see it through TIFF. I had, a, you know, I saw it in a different way, but yeah, sure. I, I didn't see Dune. I didn't see Dear Evan Hansen yet. I mean, I'm, we're going to see that later this week and that'll be next week, I guess. But yeah, I missed, I missed the big stuff. I, you know what? Of all the films that I think I'm saddest about not seeing, I don't know if you're going to be surprised by this. I want to see Belfast so bad. I cannot wait I for heard, Belfast. Didn't that win uh, the top prize? I, I don't know if it was the top prize. Yeah, it won a bunch of stuff. Belfast, that's the new Kenneth Branagh film. Jamie Dornan, I want it. Katrina Balfe, I want to see them in a movie together right now. I don't know if it's the front runner, but I know it's considered one of the front runners for uh, the Oscars. Best Picture nom, I I think, is probably in the back. I mean, based on what I'm seeing buzz-wise, I mean, I haven't seen the film. It could suck. But based on, yeah, Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing, we should mention Toronto International Film Festival tends to produce a lot of best picture winners and nominations. And I, yeah, I think that this will probably be a nomination at the very least. Yeah. Well, it premiered at a film festival before that, right? If I'm not mistaken, Venice or something. Yes. Oh, I, I think. think you're right. I don't remember if it was like one of the German ones. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious about it. I, I do think it's kind of funny that Kenneth Branagh made and will release a whole movie before death of the Nile ever comes out. But um, that's neither here nor there. Okay, we're going to find out right now. So I looked it up. It premiered at Telluride. So, yeah, technically, it it premiered right before Toronto. But I mean, come on. Like a week before Toronto? (laughs) It was like, I don't know. It all kind of blends together. And uh, this is also Focus Features. We were trashing Focus Features before, but... No, we weren't. A little bit. I was. We were, we were just trashing that they released two of their uh, movies so close yeah, to one another. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about Blue Bayou, but I don't, I mean, you know, they released Stillwater enough, and The Card Counter, which are two movies I, I did enjoy. Okay, all right. Um, hey, we still haven't talked but, about Stillwater, so we'll get to that, I guess. Yeah, good movie. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I just remember, I think, yeah, like you said, Tell You Ride, like, there was like, yeah, this, this movie's pretty good. And then comes out, Tiff is just like, best picture, front runner, like, Top prize. I mean, it's it. black and white, uh, and it, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it has the the fixins for that sort of thing, I guess. Sure, I just don't. I mean, I don't know. I just find as I get older that such conversations become more and more superficial to me. But I hope it's good. I like Camprano. I, I hope I, it's supposed to be his most personal film. So uh, I hope I hope it's a good heart tugging. Yeah, coming of age. It feels like a blank uh, check. Is it Ireland. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Oh, Belfast, of course. Yeah. I feel bad because, we, you know, we're almost an hour in and we haven't gotten to the marquee movie. So let's do that. 
Let's talk about our big review of the week, Cry Macho. Back when we had winners, I was afraid to lose you to the competition. Five times you won the All-American. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was before the accident, before the booze. You know how many people told me to just cut you loose? You gonna say anything? Howard, I've always thought of you as a small, weak, and gutless man. But you know, there's no reason to be rude. You owe me, Mike. You gave me your word. And that used to mean something. My son, Rafael, he's in trouble. I want to get him out of Mexico. You want me to go down there and kidnap him? Please, just get him back up here. Just you? Just me. Hey, Rafael, you can come out now. I'm a friend of the family. Touch me and I'll kick your asshole, man. Jesus Christ. Cry Macho is the latest Clint Eastwood film. I mean, how many films has Clint Eastwood directed at this point? I mean, what is it? Over like, gosh, uh, 20? Has he directed 20 films? Uh, more than that, I think. I think he's directed about 30, or, uh, 30 to 40 films, I believe. But I know that this year is the 50th anniversary of him directing films. I think he's been making films for the past 70 years as an actor. Well, his first film was Play so, Misty for me, if I'm not mistaken. As a director, As yeah. a director, yeah, it's 1971. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, the guy I know, he's acted in uh, like 60 films or something, probably, maybe 70. I think between 60 and 70. Director-wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of like... If, he's graduated more and more like gradually sort of like moved into being more of a director more often than an actor, but in a lot of cases doing both. Um, I'd say that the two thousands are more filled with him directing, not acting, you know, like letters from Miyajima flags of our fathers. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. about to say a million dollar baby. I meant mystic river. Of course, <laughs> because he was a million dollar baby. He was in blood work and space cowboys and all those yeah. true crime. Well, I mean, director and star of yeah. two best picture winning films. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but he took a big break. To directing. He yeah, took a huge. Yeah. So he did million dollar baby. He took a break. I mean, that's 2000, like what, 2004. He didn't show up again for a few years, which is one of the bigger breaks in his career that we don't see him in something. He comes back for Grand Torino. You know, hot off the heels of Changeling that same year, I think. And Changeling, of course, the Angelina Jolie movie that nobody wants to remember. Gran Torino, like you and I were talking about this, it felt like, his, like is this the last movie? Is this it? His epitaph. As an actor, I, as an yeah, actor. I mean, at least for me, it felt, yeah. I, I know for you, you felt as a director as well. I just remember at the time feeling like, okay, this is it. Well, I like, think, I, think I knew Invictus we'll was still on the horizon. But I don't know, like, sure. I knew that, I think this is what, like, 2008, I, I was thinking, like, this was going to be his last big movie. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's got, like, one or two other films in the tank, maybe, but, like, this right. is, like, the, this is the last thing. It's not the last song, but it's, like, the last big hit. That was wrong. Mm-hmm. Totally well, I wrong. remember, it was, like, an event film for that reason. Like, I remember uh, Clint Eastwood got snubbed, I think, for Best Actor, and people were like, how could you do this? Mm-hmm. Like, this is Clint Eastwood's last movie, and you snubbed him. Like, people were angry about this for that reason. Right. And then, obviously, you know, 
you know, however many years later he did Trouble with the Curve, which I just, he didn't direct that, right. uh, at least He officially. did write it though, didn't he? But that was- Oh no, he produced it. No, produced it. I, I heard, I mean, not officially that he like kind of like ghost directed it, but um, he he was doing like a favor for his like second AD or something, I think who made- Yeah, because uh, I don't even- He was like the actual God, director. I don't even film. remember who directed that movie. So that's probably the case. I mean, that's like what, Adi Adam, Amy Adams and Justin Timberlake, right? John it's the guy that did the Marksman earlier this year, which is kind of funny because oh, that movie Robert has pretty much, uh, I forget, I, I think it is something Robert, but um, it is funny because that film is Liam Neeson making or trying to make a Clint Eastwood movie and it has basically the same plot as Cry Macho. Huh. So I just imagine that Clint Eastwood watched like an earlier cut of the marksman went like no 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 well yeah i mean well robert lawrence i mean he's he's collaborated with eastwood for a long long time so that doesn't surprise me at all because he he collaborated with him with mystic river and letters from yojima and i think also american sniper so yeah i think that all checks out yeah i mean letters from yeah so people don't know robert lawrence is like a big producer like uh, mm. Like one of like he produced a lot of Clint Eastwood films. He's in the dude's corner, okay. Like he's he's a guy in Million Dollar Baby, sort of like giving his own life force to make these movies happen. Yeah, well, I mean, most I mean, I would Clint Eastwood is if they ever made like whatever like a, a Mount Rushmore in Hollywood, there's a decent chance that Clint Eastwood would yeah, be sure. on it. He is like one of the he'd be the Western monumental guy. If they had one just for Westerns and stars. Him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Him or John Wayne, probably uh, him. But I, I, I don't know if you can really truly understate how big of a movie star he was, at least in his prime. Do you know his But now know his we're kind of at, Yeah. It's uncredited. His first film as an actor? Yeah. Or as a director? As, as an, an actor. actor um, like, you mean like just in general or as a lead actor? As uh, in general. So his first appearance in any film. And I only know this because I listened to a podcast. Is it... Uh, Okay, I was gonna say his first starring one was it any which way but loose as an as, as no. lead actor? No, 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 no. But no, I, I but not his first film ever. But oh wait, no, before that, that was like Fistful of Dollars stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, I um, mean, yeah, I mean, you're you're still a decade away. I mean, Fistful of Dollars is 1964. He was in a okay. lot of films before a Fistful of Dollars. Well, I mean, I know, I mean, primarily the TV career, like Rawhide and all that. Oh, I'm not but, even. I'm I'm uh, just talking about film. So his first film, and he's technically uncredited. So there are two films. That, there's one he's uncredited, and there's one he is credited. Both of them came out in 1955. He was in, technically in like a few films in 1955. I honestly don't remember the other two. But the first film where he's a credited actor is Francis in the Navy in 1955. And mm-hmm. it's a black and white comedy. I mean, most people, I think, listening haven't even heard of it. Uh, I've never even I've never seen it, uh, but it is the first credited film role of Clint Eastwood. However, he's not like a main he's not the lead by any stretch. But his first uncredited role is Revenge of the Creature, which is one of Universal's Creature from the Black Lagoon sequels. Can you believe it? And it's it's a 3D film. Clint Eastwood's first film is mm-hmm. 3D. I love it. Well, I think that's part of the like kind of mysticism and appeal. Yeah, of he's on the cutting edge. Clint Eastwood. Always is that he's one of the rare, like genuine American dream movie stars in that, like, like I think for like the first 30 years of his life, he was like doing odd jobs, like being like a carpenter and like, you know, a handyman and doing like, you know, just like things to get away with life. And he did acting, I think, 
I'm paraphrasing, but he was just like, oh, this is like a lot easier than doing, you know, manual labor. I mean, he's, so I'll just do he's that. He's a handsome <laughs> man. I mean, you mentioned Rawhide. Have you seen it's like stills of him from Rawhide? Dude's got it going on. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like he was, you know, he was handsome in a conventional yet unconventional sort of way. Yeah. He had that steely gaze. But yeah, but he was also, you know, like handsome and like kind of, uh, you know, and, and even like seeing Cry Macho, like there are some scenes where you just like, I can see that old Clint Eastwood, you know, like stare and you're just like, well, you know, you, you, it's still there and, and under all, you know, a mountain of wrinkles and yeah. all this. But uh, see, yeah. that's that's getting to the heart of it, because so Cry Macho, it just hit HBO Max. You can watch it right now on HBO Max if you're subscribed. Mm. It's also mm-hmm. in theaters through Warner Brothers. And this is a, a Western. It takes place in 1979 and 1980. And that is, when it comes down to it, that is the thing about this movie that I just I, I, I just can't stand how this movie thinks that it's 91-year-old lead actor Clint Eastwood is more like 65. Like 30 years or so, Oh, see, I fundamentally I, disagree. And I think no. that's going to be the heart of our disagreement. Nope. Nope. Because this movie is obsessed with the idea that this man is only in his 60s. And because... Well, no, frankly, 30s. It is I mean, of, I think in the novel, he's like 35 or it's something. It's one of the most... Well, he's over the hill, right? Like, that's all you really need. Yeah. The man's... He is a hill. He's a mountain at this <laughs> point. <laughs> Come on, the guy's yeah. 91. And he's tasked yeah. with... The setup for this film is... The first scene of this movie is he's in his 90s. The guy gets called in by Dwight Yoakam and do his job. And like in one of the most embarrassing exposition dumps in modern film history. I mean, my God, Will Ashton. It is one of the worst written opening dialogue scenes in a film I've seen all year. I mean, come on. We're literally Dwight Yoakam, the the impeccable, uh. the impeccable Dwight Yoakam. I saw him and my eyes lit a blaze. Right? Sure. Because he's a legend. And he sits down and he's just like, here's the plot. Here's you. Here's me. Here's what you're going to do. And that's the end of the scene. And then they're like, a year later. And I'm I'm flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the movie starts off rocky. And I don't quite know. Because I think a lot of the information is conveyed uh, in the scene to follow. And I, I did I I have to chuckle at that scene, another scene that we'll discuss later, because there there's a, a sense of like like kind of like a Decker feel, especially because Dwight Yoakam has like a weird sort of like Greg Turkington line delivery in this film that that does kind of feel like otherworldly almost like you're kind of watching like some sort of like made for TV movie that happens to star one of the most legendary actors and directors of Hollywood. But yeah, I mean that's like the sort of like you know. Th- in Twilight era um, Eastwood, and I'm not talking like Twilight, like the film series, like Twilight, like winding down years, Eastwood, he is favorite sort of like one take, two take style that I think uh, serves him fine. And then his actors are kind of uh, left to their own devices. Certainly the, the kid in this, I think, doesn't always fare for the best because of that, that style. I think uh he would have been better a lot of times if the kid maybe had one or two extra takes to deliver his exposition. The kid, by the way, played by Eduardo Minette, and yes. who I've, I've never seen who? in a film before. But when I first saw him, I thought he was the kid sure. from Cobra Kai, and he's all that. Okay. So, but it's the it's the same issue that I remember with um, Grand Torino. Or, uh, what's it, Grand Torino? Because I remember the kid yeah. in that. Also, there were some scenes where he wasn't quite 
great. He was okay. I'll uh, take that kid over this one any day, any day honestly. It's not the actors. Uh, it's the script. I mean, Gran Torino, I remember sure. that kid. I remember what he wanted in life. I remember his struggle. In this movie, I could give way less of a you-know-what. I mean, like, we'll get into it, but I mean, my God. I, this movie is all about Dwight Hokum's character being like, I, I got to send this 91-year-old man to Mexico to find my son who is yes. a big mess and to bring him over the border while being hunted. And like, it's every, like, there's nothing about this movie that I thought was surprising, that was inventive, that was cathartic. Everything about it was just washed over with melodrama and 20 other films I've already seen some of them by Clint Eastwood himself, who I just thought yes. this was, you mentioned Vanity Project earlier. That's exactly what this mm -hmm. is. I mean, the guy just wants to, you know, live vicariously through himself. And you know what? If he wants to do that, oh, by man. all means, but that doesn't mean it works. It just doesn't. Sure. It's too tough to watch. I was annoyed because I couldn't get through a single scene without being like you. This doesn't make sense. You're 91. Like, I, I'm not mm -hmm. trying to be ageist, right? Like, I, I told... I know I get you. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's, he's trying to, he's doing things that are just way outside the realm of believability. Yes. But you don't care? And this is, it's not that I don't care. It's that I think there are two ways to watch this film, as I wrote on Letterboxd. I think the way you're seeing it is the kind of more like surface way of seeing it, where it's a sort of like, antiquated as we mentioned vandy project where it's 90 year old actor at least 20 years older than whatever the character is supposed to be is doing his last hurrah his last journey out yonder where he does you know he saves a day he helps the kid he gets the girl he, he does his last rodeo out in the desert plains and you know it's it's comfortably unfussy it's him just kind of doing a heavy-handed self-serving film and sure you can look at it that way and just look at as just like him stroking his ego, making a movie for the sake of, you know, his own uh, image and all that. And I think there's a part of me, especially before seeing this film, where I'm kind of like, what is Clint Eastwood doing at this point? I want him to keep making movies because, frankly, I think it's what's keeping him alive. Uh, I, I feel like the day he's like, I'm done. That's it. That's it. I'm not making movies before anymore is when he's going to yeah. die, unfortunately. Well, that's, that's the heart of it, Will. I, I, I this is my genuine thought. This is my one sentence review. If somebody else had made this movie, nobody would care. Everybody would trash sure. it. Everybody would be like, "This sucks." But because it's Clint yeah. Eastwood, we gotta we gotta walk on eggshells around the man. That's what's bugging me about it. It's like it sucks. Like it just sucks. He didn't do a good job making a movie, but everybody's like, "We like Clint Eastwood." He talked to a chair that one time. Isn't it amazing? He made a movie, and I'm like, I guess. But that doesn't mean the movie's good. The movie sucks. See, that's okay. So I guess that's getting to where I'm trying to lead here. Uh, for one, if anyone else made the movie, it, it, what would be the film? Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just a guy goes out west to save a film. Yeah. The, the fact that he's 90 is what makes it interesting. But that's neither here nor it's there. Both. It's like, it's not interesting or believable or it's nothing. It's well, my defense of that is that it's not trying to be believable in any, oh, I know that. any way or another. <laughs> um, I 100% agree I think, there. I think where we disagree and where I think the movie works 
is that it is by design not a film that's meant to be believable or like you're supposed to be invested in the authenticity of the characters, but rather it's a film that, like Clay Swift has been doing for however many years at this point, is commenting directly in this case on his legacy and him as a person and movie star. And I would say he's not doing it in a compelling way. And I think that's where we disagree, because for me, what I find interesting about this film is that the first movie of his that is directly and sympathetically actually acknowledging the fact that he is a feeble and like, you know, froggy voiced man, like every film before this, there is still that, that like gravitas, like Gran Torino, Bloodwork, Unforgiven, even to some extent, The Mule, where he's a 90 year old drug cartel there is a sense like of anger and indignation and he's like the one man who is like trying to make peace with a world that doesn't make sense to him anymore or is like going the a different way and this is the first film of his where he is directly like relaxed or resigned and kind of making peace yeah, because with he the wrote a whole thing him. where he gets to get laid by a woman in her 50s who was born yes, when he was in me, his like 40s I said, which, like I said, is much uh, less uh, um, indulgent than him having 20-something threesomes. That's true. I haven't which, seen The Mule, in, in but the I mule. have heard about that, which, good Lord. Yeah. Um, wow. I actually thought the really, – I, I think that's less egregious than the relationship previous in the film where uh, a woman of a similar age is hitting on him in his bed, which that that, that scene might as well be in like a Telemundo um, uh, show yeah, or, of some or sort. That, that scene is just – I don't know. Yeah, that that scene, I would say, is the the only scene outside of the crate scene and the opening that we're talking about. See, I want a Clint Eastwood movie where he, like, his son, Scott Eastwood, he's like, you know, his son is getting cucked by Who no one cares about. You know? (laughs) Where, like, Scott Eastwood's girlfriend's hooking up with Clint Eastwood. I'd watch it. (laughs) Scott Eastwood gets cucked the movie. Yeah. By his 90-year-old. Why can't that be this movie? Uh, I would appreciate that. Now, that's meta. Yeah, that's, that's, that's believable. Uh, I would 100%. I would 100% watch that as his uh the movie he makes as a 93-year-old man. Scotty's get cucked the movie. Um but no, I mean where I think we're just see what I find interesting about the film is that it is actually tender and remorseful in a way that I don't think the other films of his have willed themselves to be. There is this sense that Clint Eastwood still has this like anger or resentment about the world. And I think this is the first film of his as a director or a star that seems to kind of make peace with that. Or he's like, like it just allows him to like sit in the desert and just reflect on his life. And it's a film that is willing to have him just be in this midsection, just like living his life in a way that is almost like vicarious and acknowledging that there is like a fabulism to this kind of like great machismo that he is uh, doled out even when he was like 80 something years old. And I think that's what I find interesting about the film. That's why I think uh, as an Eastwood commentary on, you know, just like, what does it really matter? Like, you know, I've, I've pretended to be like this man my whole life and like, you know, I just, you know, I, it's not really who I am. I just want to be this other person. I want to like, kind of like go out my way in this in this kind of way that is, uh, you know, pretty tender and remorseful and that, in a way that I don't think Clint Eastwood personally has really been able to do, at least effectively, before this. I don't think this is effective either. But I think, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, look, the movie's based on a novel that came out in 1975. It came out before when this movie takes place, before you or I were born, before many people listening were born, right? And it still feels more old-fashioned. 
And I, I think, look, there's nothing wrong with that. I like old fashioned yeah, movies. It's trying to be. I like that. Old yeah, yeah, but here, here's the trouble, right? And I did want to mention this too. Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be in this. I think the better version of this movie is Arnold Schwarzenegger in the lead role. Seriously, like I'm uh, not. I would love to see that as well. Right? Make it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's better, but I would. I'd love to see that as well. When it comes down to it, seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger be a character who's just like macho is overrated. Give it to me. I mean that. Yeah, hundred percent. But when it's Clint Eastwood, and I just see this man who he's been through it, and I I wish no ill upon Clint Eastwood at all. All right, sure. I have nothing negative to say about Clint Eastwood as a person. As a, we owe so much to the man. I mean, look, say what you want about his political stuff. I don't care, dude. I dude mean, is a legend. I for think. A reason. I think even his politics aren't as controversial as people make them out to be. You can disagree with them, it. sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. He's just kind of like a. He's just kind of like a like a, your baseline libertarian Hollywood yeah, personality, sure. which you don't have what to do like. But that's that's Get, less problematic yeah. than say Mel Gibson. So dude's been yeah, making it, movies yeah. since the fifties. Come on, yeah. like what do you, like do people expect him to be like super progressive? Like what do you no? It's fine. It's fine. But like that's my thing. That that actually is my thing, and that's. I think he's in his in this position where he's making choices to make movies, and I don't begrudge him for making whatever movie he wants. Do it, all right. Make your movie. I just want people to judge the films themselves fairly. That's all it is. And I think that this is it's a weaker effort. I think this and the Mule were weaker efforts. And this and look, you and I disagree on this. I think his last good movie was Sully. Sully was the last good one. Richard Jewell, it's okay. Like, I don't know. People really like that movie. I, I like liked yeah, Richard Joel. Yeah, I think that one I like for the performances fine. primarily. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, sure. Paul Watcher. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like, I don't have anything super negative to say about Richard Jewell. It's cool. It's fine. That was his last movie, well, I think, my, before this. I think for me, with, with Eastwood's last, like, decade of filmmaking, I think the films themselves are about as strong as he cares about the film. So, like, as we've been mentioning, I think he makes films for the sake of making films. Like, I think yeah. it keeps him alive. I think he just likes doing it. it. It gives him purpose. It gives him direction in life. And I think I respect when that you see completely. something uh, with, when you see something like American Sniper or 1517 The Paris, I think he see or Sully, you see he has a sequence where he's like, yes, I want to direct the, the plane going down sequence in Sully. I want to direct uh, Bradley Cooper like in the thrust of war, like dealing with the consequences of that is the, the, the a sniper in 1517. I want to shoot the, uh, um, the train attack. Like, and, and, and like those scenes are executed, you know, quite good. But then like the other like personal life scenes, like he could just care less. Uh, and I think those show for the most part. And I think, um, you know, that's been kind of the case for his other films where like, I think he has something he wants to say and he says them for a few scenes. And this film, I think the, the probably the biggest issue is the fact that he, uh, explicitly says the themes of the film over and over again, has other characters explicitly saying the themes of the film over and over again. But I think in some respects that, that adds to the weird sort of earnestness of the film and that like he is just, you know, saying what he wants to say on his own terms. And he's just like, let me just make sure you get this. Like, I'll say it 15 more times if you want me to. Uh, and I, you know, I just respect that. I think it's Clint Eastwood as most settled. I think it's Clint Eastwood making the most of you know whatever 
finite time he has on this planet and just being like i have done everything i wanted to do i'm not i don't know if he's done or not at this point maybe he'll make another film maybe he won't but i think this is more respectful than pretty much anything else he's directed post uh grand torino i don't want to keep being all negative when you're saying such nice things so the last thing i'll say before we finish things out here is that I, I just think that Ben Platt was the wrong person to cast. He looks too old for this role. Uh, that's a Dear yeah, Evan Hansen I mean, joke. Right, um, yeah. I, I'm sorry I had to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, I mean, I where I think we disagree is that I get where you're coming from, and I, I don't think what you're saying is wrong. I just think what I find interesting is the fact that, like, if you look at it on plain terms and just being like this weird movie about a 90 year old man who's inexplicably asked to go to Mexico to save the, uh, a kid and bring him back and learn to like love life. Another again. kid, like, a minority kid, of course, sure. got to, you know, gotta yeah, have which that is the same into it. Yeah. I mean, like you can look at it as just like, is he just kind of retraining the same ground they covered in Unforgiven, Gran Torino mm-hmm. and the mule? Yeah. Yes. And no, I mean, I think, you know, but he's basically, I, I think he's, you know, kind of like made, clear what he wants to say as a filmmaker and as actor at this point. Um, But I think what I find fascinating, like I said, is that there is this unexpected gentleness to the film in a way that he hasn't communicated as an actor or a director for most of his career outside of, you know, a few exceptions, like maybe like bridge on Madison County or something like that. But um, I I do like the, the shot in this film that I think, stand makes it stand out more than others that like the first time we see Clint Eastwood, we don't see his face. We don't see, him like kind of you in that rough gaze we see his hands like quivering as he is um shake uh, holding the gas uh pedal and it just shows like this rare like humanity to clint eastwood who is you know like we said it's like as an actor as a movie star is like you know this domineering personality and this like you know this almost kind of like endearing or uh enduring like lifeless or um uh immortal sort of uh screen presence and now where he's having a film where he's directly and openly and with some sense of peace dealing with that mortality in a way that i find personally interesting i can see other people not willing to uh care for eastwood's indulgences and you know it you you get as much as you give with the film and i was willing to accept it i understand why you didn't like it didn't care for it and you know that's fine but that's that's my take on it my final take is i think news of the world this is the better version of this movie. Paul Greengrass directed Tom Hanks. For me, in terms of like a Western kind of covering the same sort of material, albeit a hundred years removed, I think News of the World is the better version of this. The, the one that I got a, a lot more out of in terms of a guy who's kind of aging and it's sort of getting around that sort of, you know, what do you do when you sort of reach the twilight of your years and you still want to make mm-hmm. a difference and you know, he even has some of the same tropes, but I thought that it handled it a lot better. And Cry Macho, I just found the whole thing really embarrassing. Like, just from every technical aspect there is. I, I just found nothing about See, it impressive. I don't. Even, I mean, I actually thought the filmmaking here was a little bit stronger than his, most of his other recent films outside of, you know, like the scenes that I'm talking about. Like I, like, I don't think any sequence here is less embarrassing than the worst moments in Sully. Nope, not even close. Come on. I mean, the climax in this movie... It makes the climax in Sully look like uh, I can't even. I can't even see. I the one scene which I'll give with you outside of the ones we talked about, like the the opening and the the scene where the woman comes on to him. Um, oh my god! Is the the crate scene, which we, I think we have to discuss, which is um, just so hilariously <laughs> like, like from a screenplay standpoint, they're just like we need a scene where our 
our two leads get together and the police come and they, they make everyone leave. But like Clint Eastwood's 91 years old. He's not going to outrun the police. What right. should he do? But these, mo- oh, thankfully there's these mountains of crates around yeah, so he yeah. can just hide between them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, uh, I think a primo example, like, uh, on par with maybe the baby doll sequence from American Cyper of just, uh, late period Eastwood indolence, just being just like, yeah, whatever works, just you know. Just- yeah, his problem solving in filmmaking is very, very simple. It's like, go for whatever works. Well, do you know the Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie? Uh, I know it's. Someone mentioned that it was fifty two percent at one point. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, I know it's pretty low. What do you want to guess? Uh, I'll guess fifty four percent. You should have said fifty two. That's what it was. Okay. It was 52. I I, I didn't know at what point it was 52%. 52% out of 94 reviews. But what about the audience score? What do you think? Um, I don't know. That could go either way, right? I could see audiences being more endeared by it because they've, you know, I know audiences really liked Mule. I know audiences loved Gran Torino. People love Clint Eastwood, the actor. But this film, like you said, I think it's, uh, you know, you you give what you give with it, um, and uh, I could see people not willing to give a lot with it. And so I'll say 65%. That's exactly right. I think you were just stalling. I think you were just like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You were no, typing was, away. Uh, all on my brand. You could, I 65% mean, if, if I was typing, exactly? You, so you had a one in a hundred chance. And I got it right, man. <laughs> all right. Hey, look, I'm going to go with it. But um, okay. I like Eastwood. I had one shot and I just got it. <laughs> All right. What about Cinema Square? Okay. So, Cinema Square, it has one. It was. It, it is in theaters right now. What do you think about that? Uh, I'm going to guess C. Plus? No, nah, it's a B. So you were far like off on that. So I think you're just trying. I think you're just like, all right. I know. I looked that up too. I got I to gotta go far away from the Cinema Square. No, I got a reputation I mean, to protect. I can never make sense of the, the, the folks, the fine folks, I'm sure, yeah, uh, yeah. in Las Vegas that that uh, come out to these uh, cinema score screenings and give their earnest and unfiltered opinions about whatever film they see. Well, that is Cry Macho. As we said, it's available to stream right now on HBO Max. You can also see it in theaters. Be careful if you do be safe. And it mm-hmm. is just 104 minutes long. Not a recommendation from me, but it sounds like, well, you do recommend the film just fine. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I, I, like I said, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I, I looked at it through a certain prism, and I guess John did not, and you know, that's the way it is, and that's why I, I saw it through people. reality. That prism, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, well, it's a movie, man. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just being. I'm just <laughs> you didn't, being. A you pill. didn't. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, of course. Everybody's entitled their opinion. I'm just being fun. Not fun. What's the opposite word of fun? I'm being annoying. There you go. Sure. Speaking uh, of annoying, let's talk about Tammy Faye. Sure. The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which not to be confused with the documentary. There was a documentary that ask. came out 21 years ago. Yeah, yeah, same name. Yeah, have you seen this documentary? I tried to watch it before. No. I didn't get time, unfortunately. I wanted to watch it to compare, but I have not seen the film. I'd like to watch the documentary, but I have never seen it, but I am well aware of it. And I'm so happy that I was able to see this film because I didn't think I was going to be able to. As I mentioned kind of earlier in the show, I wasn't able to see The Eyes of Tammy Faye through the Toronto International Film Festival. It was not av- available through virtual. However, it did get a release this past week. I think like a wide release. Uh, that said, 
I don't think critics are loving it that much. Um, it's it's one of those movies. It kind of came out, and I think the knives kind of came out for this one. And it's about two real life people, televangelists, uh, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker, played by Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain. And I will say, I and this is directed by Michael Showalter, who I don't think we've, gosh, we don't we haven't talked about him too much on this show. I mean, Wet Hot American Summer. Of course, I think the only time we probably we talked about the big sick, I know, but I don't think we. Oh, we did talk about the Lovebirds, didn't we? Yes, we did the Lovebirds, a terrible film. I would say that's more embarrassing than whenever you. you I like that of, movie, uh, Cry Macho. I'd watch well, that over Cry Macho. Yeah, easily. That's that's why we're two different people. <laughs> well, there you go. So Michael Showalter, I like I like Michael Showalter just fine. Um, yeah, is- I mean, outside of the Lovebirds, I think he's a very talented writer and. Yeah. Uh, I, I've enjoyed uh, his work as a uh, actor, writer, and to some extent as a filmmaker. Though I think he's been uh, more miss and hit as a director, outside of uh, like we said, The Big Sick, and I also like um, Search Party. What I've seen of it, I know he's directed for that show. Still as haven't well. gotten and into I, that. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to though. Um, did yeah. you like Hello, My Name Is Doris? I know we brought it up. Before oh yeah, that was show. a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's not the most memorable or. Uh, uh, endearing film, but I, I remember, uh, I think I reviewed it and I saw it and I liked it. And I, I think okay. I primarily liked it for, uh, Sally Fields performance, but, uh, yeah, that was a decent film. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're listening and you're just like, well, I don't know, I haven't seen all that stuff. He did write wet, hot American summer, which I guess is one of his bigger things. But anyway, mm-hmm. so the eyes of Tammy Faye, as I mentioned before, this was one of those movies where I was excited to see it because this one hits home. This one hits personal for me. Right. There's stuff that happens in this movie. You are that I'm I'm connected to. And like a per like I was I wasn't there because this movie doesn't take place necessarily. But I was there kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) like. um, Yeah, I was talking to the my screening rep before and I was like, yeah, frankly, you know, it was kind of before my time in the screen. I was like, it was before my time. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. But uh, the events of this film are well known to me. I mean, so so I I, want to get this out of the way. Right. The setup for this film and the documentary as well, which again, I haven't seen, but I remember when the documentary came out, this movie is about two people who kind of made it big in the televangelism scene, right? Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker. They get married in the 1960s. They joined CBN. They created the 700 Club, which exists to this day through Pat Robertson, something I think a lot more people will probably remember. Now, my parents remember... Jim Baker and Tammy Faye. I know that for sure. They like would watch that like program or whatever. They were doing that show, I think from like Charlotte, North Carolina, I think for the longest time. And then eventually California, if I'm not mistaken. But in this movie, Jerry Falwell is portrayed by Vincent D'Onofrio. Now, well, I got to ask you, Jerry Falwell, do you know anything about this man? Uh, Yeah, I know he was uh, not a great guy. I mean, even outside of this movie, he's not fondly remembered by a lot of people. Not but a I lot of people he, he is, but a lot of people he's not. Is it true, though, that a lot of the like dirt came out after he died? No, no. Okay. Was was oh, the stuff we, coming out before he... When did he, did he die in 2015? He died in 2007. I was there. Oh, seven. Okay. I, uh, I was within like a square mile of his death. So oh, wow. for listeners who do not know wow. this about me... I attended Jerry Falwell's church for a long, long time. Uh, so Jerry Falwell, well-known segregationists, 
and little Puerto Rican John Negroni kind of grew up in his world, right? My parents moved to Virginia when I was a little kid, okay? Lynchburg, Virginia, which is where his church started. And I don't talk about this on the show that much. I've been saving it, I guess. And a lot of this stuff comes up in the movie. So it was, this is a surreal experience. I mean, watching this movie, I'm just, I remember so much of this stuff. Uh, Mainly because Jerry Falwell, he's kind of the villain of this movie, right? And that tracks. Oh my Mm. word, does it track. Will Ashen, I have to tell you, in the 90s and the 2000s, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye were punchlines for the people in the Jerry Falwell orbit. Like Jerry Falwell would preach sermons. I remember him talking ill of Jim Baker. I remember him getting into detail about the gay agenda. And if you like the dangers of that sort of thing. Right. And he Mm -hmm. would reference Tammy Faye. He would reference these people who were too nice or, you know, Jim Baker's sort of like connections to that community and all this stuff. And they were like a cautionary tale. And impressionable John Agroni growing up in that church, Will, what do you think happened? I grew up not knowing the truth. I grew up thinking all this stuff. And I was telling you about this after I saw the movie that it wasn't until Jerry Fumble died in 2007. Again, I went to the high school connected to the church. I went to the college, the, the middle school, the elementary school. I was in that you were world. indoctrinated into the whole thing. I was, yes, I, I yeah. played tennis with his grandkids, right? Oh, and geez, I didn't realize it was that. Ex- wow. Okay. His grandkids, Trey Falwell and Wesley Falwell, two of the worst human beings I've ever met in my entire life. I was, gonna, I was going to cheekily ask they if you kept suck. in touch. Oh, they were the okay. worst. I couldn't stand okay. them. But okay. yes. Even we at were, the time? Like you were, even yes. when you were like fully indoctored, you were, uh, you were oh, not I about could, them? Okay. Oh, I couldn't stand them, Willashen. They were insufferable. And like all this okay. stuff has come out about that family ever since. You're right. But sure. Uh, the, the 2015 stuff, you're, you're thinking of, sorry, you're thinking of his son, Jerry Falwell Jr., similarly yes. a terrible human being, but that's a whole mm-hmm. other thing. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, my familiarity, I think of the uh, Tammy Faye and Jimmy, or uh, yeah, uh, Jim Baker saga. I think began and ended with the church lady skit from SNL, which uh, uh, somewhat amusingly to me, prominently or not prominently, but like somewhat shows up. features into the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just remember that, and I remember the like the big crying mascara running face, like the big puffy face that was like on shirts and all that stuff with Tammy Faye, and I, I think that's also the poster for the documentary. Uh, I just remember that. That was like the whole thing I, I knew about Tammy Faye was that like she was like, you know, known for like kind of crying and her hysterics and like all these different, you know, outbursts and all this stuff. And like she was like basically kind of like a caricature. Yeah. Or like, you know, like a, like punching a, a cartoon. Bag. Yeah. A punching bag. Like, yeah. Even outside of the um, the your experience with it, like it, my limited experience, just that like these people are clowns or weirdos and like Tammy Faye, especially because the nineties, as we know, were not especially kind to women, uh, in particular evangelistic women's. Yeah. Yeah. We got it. We got to mention this. I mean, this also, and this movie posits posits it. They were sort of that way in the evangelical community as well. Like as I'm sort of getting to, they were charismatic. Right. And so Thomas wrote the church that I went to and all that stuff in Lynchburg, Virginia, that's where I grew up. They, they were punch. They were punchlines. I mean, the idea of being charismatic. Jerry Falwell made jokes all the time about Presbyterians, about Episcopalians, and Pentecostals, and all this stuff. That was like kind of his thing. 
he was a pretty miserable man. And I knew him personally. Uh, you know, like my parents would have like dinner with him and stuff. And like, I've met him a bunch of times and I, you know, I, I, I can't say that. I, like, I didn't know the guy super well or anything like that. I mean, he was a big mega church pastor, but it was one of those things. I didn't, I didn't realize how famous he was until he died. Like he died. And I remember like people were talking about it on like Fox news and stuff. And I was like, wait, what, why would they talk about that on like people know him? Why are they talking about Uncle Jerry? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. like I, I yeah. genuinely did not realize that he was that well known. Mm-hmm. I thought he was kind of like pretty well known in like the region. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that kind of thing. But yeah, to see him played by Vincent D'Onofrio in this movie was something else. And I'd say D'Onofrio does a pretty good job, actually. He doesn't nail Jerry Falwell. You know, in terms of like his mannerisms and all that stuff, I mean, it's hard to do. I mean, I think that Jerry well, had yeah. like a Jerry, he had such a specific personality on screen, you know, like on the old time mm-hmm. gospel hour and in his sermons, he's a, he's a kind of a different guy in like behind closed doors. And I think that's what D'Onofrio is kind of going after. And yes. I'm, I'm kind of impressed by how he was, how he went for not how he avoided, excuse me, the low hanging fruit of that kind of performance. Well, I think it's kind of crucial that he does that, right? Because yeah. the Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain performances are deliberately more self-conscious. They're more about the visual presentation of their their characters because they have to kind of fit into a certain mold. Whereas uh, Vincent D'Onofrio has, I think, a little bit more freedom as an actor to kind of play it, uh, you know, as a character, as a as, as a as a human, you know, obviously one that as embittered and willing to like, you know, sabotage people's career for his own personal well-being, but one that, uh, you know, has more burning resentment, more ties to like a grounded humanity than the, uh, heightened buffoonery of our two main characters. Right. And it absolutely tracks. I mean, people don't know, I guess this isn't public knowledge, but I mean, Jerry Falwell, he, he bragged about how much of a betrayer he was in general. I mean, the dude, I remember like one of the things he would always bring up is how he literally stole his best friend's fiance, Maisel Falwell or Mabel Falwell, Maisel, I think. Like literally in the 1950s, his best friend was engaged to someone and he convinced her to dump him and ended up marrying her. Like that kind of sets the tone, doesn't it? Like Will Ashton... I can't imagine, like, if you did that to me, I'd be so upset. I wouldn't be you able would to forgive you. A little peeved, a little, a little uh, protrubed, I guess, uh, if then, that happened. <laughs> but then literally the guy that he did this to would talk about it, and they were still friends, because I don't even know. <laughs> like, I mean, well, it's, that's kind of like the Dick Cheney thing, up. right, where he shot the guy in the face, and the guy had to apologize for it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's exactly like that. Uh, but anyway, so this movie is kind of covering a, a different version of this story. I know I'm getting a little personal with it, but, you know, this movie tracks like decades in the life of these two people, these very charismatic preachers, their rise and their fall and everything. And when I was watching this movie, I wasn't very familiar with the critical reception. And I could have sworn, you know, Will, when I watched this, this is coming out through Searchlight, by the way, I was thinking, oh my word, Jessica Chastain, shoo-in for a nomination here. This is a fantastic performance. I mean, this this performance is golden. I mean, I, I thought it was so well done. She captures a single character through the course of several decades. Every version of the character rings true. And I think that she's so good. She overshadows Garfield in a lot of ways. I think Andrew Garfield, in my opinion, is 
kind of the weak link of this movie, not because of the actor. I don't think he's doing a bad job here. I think the script doesn't care about him. And to the film's detriment, it kind of like leaves him kind of high and dry because there are things about him. I think the movie fails to explore that would have informed Tammy a little bit better. But no, the film is focused intently on Tammy Faye in this movie. And I think in a good way, because Jessica Chastain, this is one of my favorite Jessica Chastain performances in general. I think she's killing it here. But after looking at the critical reception, I don't know if she's even going to get a nomination now, which I think is kind of sad. This is a really good performance, in my opinion. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the intent of the film is just like, from what I can tell, like I said, I'm far from an expert on the subject, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got the sense that like the the general Baker story was just like Jim Baker is kind of, you know, the criminal uh, in this, you know, the, the, the one that the media went after. And then he had this hysteric wife that sang and did these weird bombastic things. And uh, this movie's on her side. A hundred percent. The documentary. I, that's why I wanted to watch because the documentary, I wanted to, for one, have a better understanding of who the real Tammy Faye was, but also I've heard that, the documentary it it's trying to sympathize and human uh, hu- humanize her yeah, yeah. but also it, it there is like kind of like a, a voyeuristic carnivalistic quality to the documentary as well and that like it's like kind of like look how weird this lady is like it's also kind of like taking the piss out of her i've heard from some people i don't know i guess i haven't seen it and i've heard that this new movie is like ironically even more so than documentary trying to humanize her beyond that and being like no no no, you don't understand like this lady's been through a lot like you don't get the point c without having to go through points b and a yeah and I, it positions yeah. her as a victim it's like yeah yeah she's been right. victimized her whole life and you know i think this movie has some uplifting messages for a person like that like there's literally a scene in this year that almost made me cry toward the end sure. where she's like befriending some teenagers and i was like go go you i don't think this is real i don't think this has really happened but still sure but yeah, I mean, I guess for me, where I find myself a bit mixed on the film, and like I said, I'm I'm not really a, an expert on the subject or know much about Tammy Faye as a person or as a media figure, but I think the movie is trying to kind of stride this line where it's acknowledging that she is this larger-in-life, absurd person, but also she has these deep human feelings and that she's been through a lot and she's, you know ached and had to deal with all these traumas and difficulties and resentments and bitter feelings from other people or herself throughout her life. And I think it's a very, very fine line that has to cross. And I think sometimes it gets it right. And I think a lot of other times it's a tightrope that doesn't quite excel at or excel. I mean, I I guess like, I, I know this movie has some problems. I have some problems with this movie. I think for me, And I just want to go over this really quick. I think the issues with this movie are more about what it leaves out. And that's it. There's a lot going on in this movie. I mean, I think that it's hard to cover it in the runtime, which already was kind of long. I think that it it probably was a little bit too long, to be honest. But yeah, at the same time, it's over two hours. But like, there's so much here. There's so much material. I mean, these people went through so much and it kind of skips over a lot of stuff. It skips over a lot of stuff like criminal too, that they got into. And I feel like we're missing the full picture, but I think yes. where I just, I fall on this movie's side a hundred percent because I love Jessica Chastain in this. I think that's what it comes down to. I think that I have been wanting a performance like this from Chastain for a while. I think that her career has kind of suffered setback after setback. I think it chapter two, I thought was such a letdown in terms of what we know she's capable of. 
uh, Miss Sloan and Molly's Game and Interstellar, even something like The Martian, which I thought like, you know, utilized, you know, her talents to a good degree. She's not the star of that film, really. And I don't think she's a big part of it. I think people remember her a lot for Lawless. They remember her for Zero Dark Thirty, which is kind of embarrassing in retrospect. This to me feels like the movie that's like, no, Jessica Chastain is a force. And we should like this movie goes through Tammy Faye's young life and has such a difficult job. It starts with this, this image, this representation of Tammy Faye, the one you know of, right? Who is like permanently makeup like a person who has all these insecurities and it's, it's kind of cringy, you know, you're just sort of like cringing for this person. And then it takes you back in time. It walks you through her as a kid, but then it goes into Chastain. And I, you know, I kind of likened this movie to being like the Irishman, but for televangelists, the way that it does all the de-aging and the, I don't think it does CGI de-aging, but it does a lot of like makeup and prosthetic de-aging, which I think is a lot of it really works actually. But we see her like she pulls off like a 19 year old woman, despite being in her forties, almost perfectly. I was bought, I bought it. Well, I don't know about you. I guess not. But I mean, I was like so transfixed and immersed in this movie. I didn't feel the runtime because of it. And I think that's Chastain. I think she carries this movie in more. I, she's Tammy Faye in real life. Tammy Faye carried the whole thing. Underappreciated. Yeah, you don't get the complaint about 90-year-old Clint Eastwood anymore uh, after that comment. Whatever. Uh, I, nope. Not even – she's only in her 40s, though. I mean, if she was a little no, bit No, I, I – what I mean is that, like, I, I don't think it's as uh, egregious an age gap. I just don't – I never bought that she was uh, 19. Uh, we got a different there. Yeah. I, I bought it. I was in. I was like, you, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, I mean – It's the I acting. Me, even though she doesn't look it, I, I think she acts it perfectly, though. That's where I, I don't really take much issue with her performance. Um, but I think where I guess I differ is that considering Michael Showalter is a director of the film, I guess I guess I just was expecting something more transgressive or something that was willing to be more provocative or willing to kind of like explore the, the material in a way that wasn't so narratively linear or at least so conventional in this, in the way that this movie is, I think for the most part, because like we mentioned, it's trying to convey a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. And I think by doing so, it's not a set piece kind of movie. I think it gets its points across, but it does. So in, I think a largely sort of superficial fashion, like I think it makes its points. Like I think, where the movie is most interesting to me is where it actually dives into Tammy Faye's relationship with the uh, LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And I think that's the aspect of the film that really should be explored more because that's the, the complexity of the character that I find most beguiling. And I think that's where her legacy is primarily at this point because, and, and as far as like her like reevaluation as a celebrity figure, right. She became an icon. That, yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think the movie just kind of just like does a lot of, uh, um, you know, like just like acknowledges it in this in a in a pretty prominent scene, maybe one of my favorites from the film, but in a way that just kind of feels like hand waving, just like, oh, yeah, we have to acknowledge like this, you know, thing about her. That's, you know, in retrospect, I think maybe one of the more crucial key things, especially uh, for the evangelical fair, community. I think yeah. it's fair to say they thread it through the movie. I mean, the whole movie. 
in general, kind of gets into the the difficulties and the imbalances between the Baptist world, uh, the more fundamental evangelical world, and the sort of more progressive yes. Christianity. I think where the movie falls also, short, but, which yeah. I would voice to, is the prosperity gospel aspect of it, mm-hmm. which this is not the Joel Osteen era, right? Yeah. This is not, but it is the precursor to it. And I think the film kind of pulls its punches on that a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it, it could have gone a little bit farther on how they sort of set the stage for that. The hypocrisy of it, the the sort of like abundance of wealth and and how they push people to do certain things. But I blame kind of I kind of blame Andrew Garfield and the writing around his character for that. I think that's where his character is supposed to supplant the movie. And I just don't think he's much of a a presence in this. I, he really falls to the wayside in this movie for some weird reason. And even though it's, I don't, I don't get why it's Andrew Garfield. Let's go. Yeah. And I guess I, I take, I guess less issue with Andrew Garfield's performance because I think he falls in the same issue they have with Chastain and Showalter as a filmmaker, which is just that I don't hundred percent know what their, their main takeaway is here. I get, I, I get like broadly speaking, they want to explore Tammy Faye beyond the media headlines, beyond the jokes and the punchlines and just see her humanity. But like we said, because because she's buried under mountains of makeup, because she is like putting on this affectation, because she is trying to live up to the characteristics or the, the kind of broad aspects of Tammy Faye's character, I just don't – and because the narrative itself is so condensed that I just don't think – those humane moments really get enough time to breathe and shine. And I think that's where the film loses what its core purpose is. And I think that's where more of the like broader SNLS touches kind of come into play because the performance kind of feels so heightened without some of the kind of more raw tender moments. And there are some of those, I think particularly towards the middle, uh, which is where I found the movie. I think it's most intriguing, but I just think because it doesn't allow itself fully to explore both Tammy Faye or Jim Baker as people, which I think was the the core purpose of the film that kind of Mm -hmm. loses its way as it goes along. And I think that's why I wasn't able to fully emotionally connect with the film beyond just kind of the broad strokes of it. See, yeah, where I, where I totally disagree is I think, I think it gets Tammy Faye down pat. And I, I think that it totally covers it to me. I think to the detriment of covering Andrew Garfield and Jim Baker in general. And I think it does that in a way to sort of like almost salvage her reputation. I, I liked this movie so much. I really did, man. I I, I was so into it. And I, I found this this whole reimagining the of the story. You love the movie. Yeah, really, I do. I, you know, I... Yeah, yeah no, I know. <laughs> yeah, the, God, the, the God loves this movie. Yeah. But no, yeah. like, I, I just remember watching it. And it, 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 yeah, part of it is because a lot of it's personal to me. And it, it is... It is fascinating to watch a film that kind of happened in my backyard growing up that I have a periphery to, that I have an understanding to, and I have my criticisms there for sure. I'm not the most reliable narrator for this kind of movie, but I just don't think we can say enough like good things about how Jessica Chastain really just like centers this movie around such a strong performance. And I get it. It's not going to be for everybody. I think it's for me. It's for Abby Chessie. I know that. Uh, former sure. co-host of the show. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I was curious what she felt about the film. Sure, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's for all those, you know, those goofy little kids like us who grew up in grew up in church, you know, like These, the Baptist uh, church. I mean, well, you were in the you were in the Catholic world, I think. Um, yes, you know. Um, yeah, I'm in the 
in traitor territory there. Right on. Yep, yep. And we love you for it. You know, Need so. that Catholic guilt. <laughs> Whereas this movie is like the, yeah, the, the Baptist overconfidence, you know, the sort of like think you know everything and then watch your pride get the best of you kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, I'd say if you're if you're a listener and you're just like, well, guys, you know, I haven't seen a lot of movies and I've seen God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2. I don't know what to watch next. Watch this. I think you'll have a good time. Sure. I think you'll get something out of it, honestly. I, I think I think people who of like different persuasions than us, you know, religiously and politically maybe would probably find some interesting material here. So I, I think in that way, it's not a crowd pleaser, but it's a crowd winner. And uh, in other ways, I'd say. So I, I go to bat for the eyes of Tammy Faye. I, th- I think it's, uh, you know, I was blind, but now I see this movie. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from you for, for enjoying the film. And I wish I had similar high feelings on it. And I think I'll ultimately find it to be an all right film. Like, I think it's competently made, even despite my issues with some of the uh, narrative limitations of the film. But I, yeah, I just, I guess emotionally, the more I think about the film, the more I find myself just wanting like I think it, it touches on some key things I think what it does say and comment on Tammy Faye's legacy is interesting but only to some extent I find it frustrating that it doesn't fully I think reckon with her influence and her media personality in a way that's beyond the kind of just like broad strokes of it and I, I think you know like you said if, if you're looking for a fairly conventional but uh you know uh, mostly earnest film in some respects I, I don't think this is going to be disappointing i guess for me expecting something like i said maybe more transgressive more willing to to uh explore different territories and take more creative risk i guess the the movie left me wanting in that respect but uh yeah i mean it's not a terrible film or anything like that i just hey, i guess it might I even be a great have, film yeah. depending on who you ask yeah, <laughs> I do. Better I do really like the Big Sick. Yeah. Um, Much better. You're right. I, yeah, I, I think Cry Macho has more compelling things to say, mm. but I I can respect what you get out of the film, and I I hope people like it. This is this is such a one for you, one for me kind of thing. You mm. know, if if you yes. if there ever was a week where <laughs> two films just yeah. hit us in totally different ways, Will, what's your guess? What do you think this did on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, so I saw earlier this week that was at 74%. I don't know. Based on the way you're talking, it sounds like it's lower. So I'm going to say 68%. Very close. 67%. It's dropping, Mm -hmm. but not if I have anything to say about it. My review is going to come out soon and I want to, I want to bump it up a decimal point if I can. What about audience score? Audience score. I'm going to say, um, 62%. Sixty-two percent. Oh, way off. Eighty percent. Mm. And you oh, know why? Are, audiences are, are digging it. Why? You know why? Well, actually, it's because audiences no. don't. They're not listening to the critics. They're not listening to you or me. They know yeah. what they want, and what they want is Tammy Faye, and they're having a Tammy Faye kind of day. Yay! Sure. Hooray! So you haven't seen Righteous Gemstones, right? No. Okay, I really want you to watch Righteous Gemstones after this. I might someday, Just, maybe in a few years. It's on HBO. I, I really like that show. And I think I I think because I like that show so much, I might dislike a little bit uh, Tammy Faye because I think what that show has to say about the media evangelical families and stuff like that is a lot more interesting and willing to be darker and weirder with it uh, than this film. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. Cinema score. Do you know the cinema score for this one? 
I imagine audiences liked it. Maybe they didn't love it. I'll say B. B plus. Okay. You're losing your touch. I think that uh... they like it. <laughs> they really do. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, that makes sense. I guess that's Eyes of Tammy Fade. Easy recommend for me, but yeah, it's not not Will Ashton's Holy Water. That's for sure. Mm. Uh, I'm using the wrong religiosity for that, but whatever. Uh, it's sure. available to watch right now in theaters, and I don't know if it's ever going to come to a streaming service. It's Searchlights, if so, it would come to Hulu, Hulu. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, at It'll some point. But yeah, check hey, it out if you yeah. dare. It's over 126 minutes long. All right. Time to time to move on from Michael Showalter. Just, let's just do a quick thing here because I got to be honest, I don't have much to say about this one. Prisoners mm. of the Ghostland. You and I saw this neo-noir western Nicolas Cage action film back in January during Sundance. Sophia yeah, Batalla is also in now. it. Almost, oh, it was so long ago. We're talking yeah. nine months. And... This was directed by Sion Sono, who you actually, yes. you had a conversation with. You you interviewed yes. the guy. Very excited. I had a busy weekend, but I'm very excited to go back and transcribe the interview because he was very lovely. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, quite a pleasure and quite an honor to speak with him. I'll be honest, I did not like this movie very much. I'm very sorry. But it's, hey, it's getting its release right now through RLJE Films, excuse me. Uh, it's available mm-hmm. to stream video on demand. And uh, I think in some select theaters as well. And I got to say, yeah, I didn't love this one, but well, you know, I, I, I honestly, I don't even remember that much about it. Like I remember Nicolas Cage, it's like in Japan and mm-hmm. he's trying to rescue this like person, this woman, and there's this place called Ghostland, and he has to fight a bunch of random stuff. Uh, there's like a bank robbery that goes wrong. There's a bunch of people who are larger than life characters, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. What is this movie? Yeah, so this is, as we mentioned, the uh, long publicized uh, joining of forces between Nicolas Cage and Sion Sono, who, uh, if you don't know, Sion Sono, legendary Japanese filmmaker in the States, I think he's probably best known for, I, I think it's, is it 2014 when he released Why Don't You Play in Hell? I don't know. Okay, uh, he's made a lot of films in Japan. A lot of them are just wild. Um, and knowing his reputation as a filmmaker, and knowing Nicolas Cage's uh, willingness to just play it up and go ham and just be weird and wild as possible, a lot of people had high expectations for this. And then when Nicolas Cage during an interview was like, "This is the wildest film I've ever made," uh, I don't know why I gave him a southern accent now, but uh, it, it wouldn't be out yeah, of character more for of Nicolas like, Cage. Yeah, this is the wildest, wildest movie made. I've ever made. They put bombs yeah. on my balls. Yes, uh, among other things. Uh, yes, they 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 do that. But yeah, I mean, it was just it had a reputation even before it went to Sundance, and I think Nicolas Cage fans like myself. We're like, what the hell is going to happen? In oh, this you film? guys are going to love it. Uh, there's, t- you like the song "Time in a Bottle." Mm-hmm. That's a great scene. Um, but yeah, I, I think because of that, I think Nicolas Cage kind of sabotages film in some respects because people saw it at Sundance and they were like, "Oh, okay, you know, it's it's fun, it's what charming." What are you talking it's about? I did a great job on this movie. Yeah, I, oh, I'm not I'm not criticizing your performance, Nicolas Cage. I'm talking more about the film itself. Narratively, I think it favors a sort of uh, conventionality outside of some eccentricities that that uh, I think people were expecting a lot weirder and just buck wild absurdity uh, from this film. And I don't, I just don't think it's quite that wacky. I think 
it, it has uh, a sort of um, even handedness that I think people were were uh, not expecting. And, and I don't think it's quite as meme friendly as other people were expecting outside of one line delivery where uh, Nicolas Cage talks about his testicles, as you were mentioning. And I think that line will be uh, YouTube friendly for years to come. I only bring but- it up because it kicked ass. Sure. I must say, Nicholas Cage, it's a huge honor to be speaking with you. I don't know where John Negroni went, but I'm a big fan of your films. I told him and, and to get legacy. lost. He couldn't remember his own, the movie that he saw in January. Does he even care sure. about this podcast? I don't think so. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, you know, we were talking, have you seen Cry Macho, Nicholas Cage? Yeah, I saw it. All right. I saw what it in my private Macho? screening room in Malibu. Oh, that's very, very you're quite fortunate, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Hey, I'd like okay. to say... Prisoners of the Ghostlands, my own Mad Max. Okay, you know that, that I mean? kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, like Clint Eastwood. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, sorry, do you think Clint Eastwood is in Mad Max? No, but they're of a piece, Will. Don't okay. you get it? Yes, I get it. Yeah, I think I do. The bees, man. Yes. They're the bees' knees. <laughs> but you were <laughs> saying fun. something about how Prisoners of the Ghostland is a masterpiece of design and production. Well, I mean, I do actually think that the production quality of the film is is probably the high point of it. I, I think the uh, yeah, just the Hell look yeah. and the the world that that uh, you and Sion Sono and all the other filmmakers involved with this film made is. I can't take uh, any credit. It was all Sion. I mean, the guy knows his mm. stuff. He's so stylish. Of course. I mean, the man has made. I don't even know how many films at this point. I can't. I lost uh, count. Sure. Uh, and I know you're a big fan of his, so that, that means a lot. So, uh, yes, there is a sort of a Terry Gilliam-esque look to the film, the, the sort of like kind of mythical odyssey that they, you and uh, uh, Sion Sono made that I find quite alluring. It's like almost uh, lyrical, I guess, in some respects, even though it is following sure. your kind of traditional, uh, oh, um, what are some of the films? I'm trying to remember that it harkens back to like, uh, oh, let's see Thanks here. Like, there's... Sure, in some respects, face off, but uh, I just mean like um, uh, Season of the Witch. That's probably the best movie ever made, honestly. Sure. I think I was in that. I was thinking more like kind of like the Bad Batch. Yeah, um, Sorcerer's Apprentice. You're right. Yes. I mean, not to be fair, I'm not talking about your filmography, though I have seen quite a few of your films. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyway, I, I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, what I was trying to say is uh, I think even though the story itself kind of has your your kind of weird like vigilante-esque type thing, I, I think it, it's more about the, um, if you if you pardon me, me saying so, it's more about the qualities around the film outside of your performance that stand out more than you. I think you, you play the part as to be expected and, and you do your caginess to its full caginess, but it's more about the oddball kind of sad characters, the production design, as we mentioned, the art direction, uh, just the just the general sort of weird world building that uh, Sion Sono seems to be interested in. I think he could really care less about the story. It's just a means to an end, and it's just about building this weird world and kind of saying what he wants to say within it that that is of uh, of importance here. And I think ultimately that's more fun and interesting than the, the main plot ultimately, which is like I said, kind of a means to an end, but there's enough goofiness here, enough kind of weird absurdity that I liked it. I, I was willing to sit through and, and I never felt bored with it, but I, I think 
people are kind of ho-hum about and I can understand that because it just doesn't really meet the expectations I think the creatives uh, gave it and I just don't think it really does as much with the material as you would hope but yeah I mean for what it was I mean it's not as good as Pig which you're fantastic in oh what a Um, good movie that was I think I was in that yeah, and it's not even as uh, delir- delirious, I guess, as something like Mandy, which you're also quite good in. You know but, what? Well, uh, you know, you know what the difference is between those movies, Pig. You're supposed to mm. watch that sober. I imagine you didn't watch these films while under the influence. Of no, the I was a professional. I was no, I, mm. I. Well, I mean, the second time I saw Mandy, I, I maybe wasn't totally sober. I appreciate. But I wasn't that. reviewing it. Yeah, that's yeah. the intention. You're not. Su- Look, Will, you're not supposed to watch Prisoners of the Ghostland lucid. That's not the point. Mm. If you want to watch something lucid, you have a Netflix account. You get it? Sure. That's all yeah. I'm saying. And yeah, but I think with this film, as as I think you're trying to suggest, there's there's a desire to kind of like make a cult following in a way that maybe was more organic with something like uh, Mandy. I'm not or in a cult. maybe even. Oh no! I'm, I'm no cult. Cult classic is an expression meaning like a film that finds its audience over time. Right. Uh, even yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Sure. Uh, I don't think that. Uh, yeah. To clarify, I do not think you, Mister Cage, are in a cult of any sort. Fine. Um, I'm in a cult. I'll admit it. I'll well, own I mean, up to I, it I, if you persist. I, I think you should be careful with your words here, Nicholas Cage, because uh, you know people have these expectations with Hollywood and actors. I don't want anyone to get the wrong message. I'm in a cult of liking idea. good movies. Is that what a cult okay. is? Well, if you if that's the cult you're in, then you're gonna fit in just fine with us, Cinema Hall. Cloud Cult, good band, Josh Radner. I heard you and John talking about it earlier. Uh, yes, that off was actually a conversation we had off the air. Yes, I'm, I don't know how you heard that, but uh, I was in the room. True. Oh, well, that's a little creepy. I'll have to be honest. I um, was invited. Okay. Were you, were you in my room or his room? Well, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm a prisoner. Oh, of the ghost a, land. No. <laughs> of John himself. Oh, no. Is that where he is right now? He pays me in starbursts. I don't know. Oh, he went cool. to the bathroom. Okay. Um, well... I hope he comes back at some point. I would like to talk to him more about the film. Not well, I just like this conversation. I, if I he were here, I'd actually. say I think he would say that the movie's very balls to the wall. In more ways than one, I guess. Right. You know him. Yeah. He thinks he's clever and such. Nah. Yeah. Well, right. I can't help but feel like you think this movie sucks, but you just are no, being nice. No, quite the to opposite. Me. No, I like the film. I I think it's if I may say so kind of a, a middle film for you in that like I, I think you've you've made your Mandy's, you made your adaptations, you made these critically acclaimed films or face off as you mentioned at one point. These films that that are revered among Cage fans and audiences and critics alike. And I think this film will find its audience is probably a little bit more niche than some of your other films, but I think it will be liked. I just don't think it's going to quite read the expectations that sits upon itself. Uh, it almost, in some respects, I guess, sort of insists upon itself. Um, but I think there's enough here to enjoy. I just don't think it, narratively, I don't think it really comes together. But I think the qualities of the film that I do like are enough that I was pleasantly uh, enjoying the ride of it and just in, in uh, immersed in the weird oddities that you produce with Sion Sono. But ultimately, I, I, I think... 
the film could have been a little bit more remarkable given the talent and concepts at the core here. You know what? I think that's all very fair criticism, Will. And I think when it comes down to it, I just wanted to make a movie with some samurai. Is that a crime? No, it's quite the opposite. I think you should make more movies with samurais. I think it's a lot of fun. I really like mini guns too. Okay, cool. That's I like what it uh, I, I like seeing to. you shoot mini guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I I get it. It's not for everybody watching, especially if you're you know a square. Are you a square, mm. Will? I hope not. Good. And you know what? Yeah. Mm. John kind of left a note for me because he knew this was going to be a mm. whole thing. He wanted to tell you that. The Rotten Tomatoes score, based on what you've been talking about, is probably yes. going to surprise some viewers. Can you guess? Oh, uh, ooh, that's, this is a good. This is a good one because I'm not 100 percent sure what this one is. I've been watching it every of... day. Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, I have to admit, I check um, it every morning when I'm about to do my morning run in calisthenics. Can I guess? Uh, for the this is the critic score, right? Yeah. This is a, uh, I'm going to guess 76%. It's 72. You're within the okay. margin of error though. So I'll give sure. you a short, I'll give you a little bit of praise. Uh, what a kind honor, Nicholas Cage. It's based out of a hundred critics. I'm proud of you, Will. I've been Thank watching you. your that, that career means a lot. for a oh, long that's very time. Sweet. Hey. Uh, likewise. You know what? Will, I, I got to say, I lied mm. to you. I was looking at an old review. It, it, it actually mm. is 65%. It went oh. down. Okay, I'm sorry. So I was off more than that. No, that's okay. I, I, you, yeah. you will never, you'll never upset me, Nicholas Cage, unless, unless you do something, I guess. But some um, of the haters came into focus. You get it? Yeah. I like you said. I think, I think you may be, if, if I may be so blunt, I think you, you, you kind of, you, you damned yourself a little bit here. I think you, you set expectations too high. Hey, you know, you did the same thing for Mandy. I'll never stop thanking you for it. I remember that was oh, the only movie, movie from 2018 that you seemed to like unironically. And it meant a lot to yes. me as a listener of Cinemaholics. Oh, thank you. I, it means a lot that you listen to the show. Of course. I share it with everybody. Sophia oh, wow, Botella. Very, very... Oh, oh nice. yeah. Andrea Riseborough is the one who introduced it to me. Oh, okay. That's surprising. She's a big fan. Uh, do you know what the audience score is? Uh, whoa, this is even tougher than the critical score. Oh, I bet. It's tougher for me to uh, accept. That's a hint. Is it? Is it 54%? No, it's 36. What are you going to do? Oh, wow. Fewer, fewer than 50 ratings. We're still working on the marketing, trying to figure mm. out that sweet spot. If you had time in a bottle. Oh, Will, you're hilarious. You're nothing mm. like John described you. Oh, well, I thought you were a fan of the show. Well, he warned me that... You know, mm. talking to you is different from listening to you. Uh, I shouldn't have listened. Mm. Ah, there, there you go. Uh, does there, is there a cinema score for this one? There's not that I know of. If there is, I don't want to know. They wouldn't mm. get it anyway, wouldn't they? Uh, they're they're a weird bunch in, in Las Vegas. I don't. I, I, I have uh, uh, said as much on several podcasts at this point. Will, I gotta go. John's standing at the threshold of the door, kind of leaning oh, okay. against the door impatiently. Sure. He wants the microphone back. Well, let me say again, it's been a great honor to speak with oh, you. Oh, it's fan been of your work. so great. You're one of the yeah. angels from City of Angels, Will Ashton. Oh, that's very sweet. I don't live in Los Angeles, but I like to think so. That's a very kind compliment. You don't have to. Yeah. 
I heard what you were talking about earlier about being Catholic. So close enough. Mm, yes, true. Well, very, that's very nice of you. Thank you for making the time to speak with us. And I hope this pleasure comes again at some point. Uh, well, he's already gone. Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, I've oh, never well. seen him that excited. Yeah, I mean, it's very nice. It was. I, I, I wish you were around to, to hear our conversation. Yeah, it was actually, I'll listen it, to it, it later. Was, uh, okay. Sorry. That's yeah, okay. It's not a, hey, I kind of heard it from the other. He's very loud. He's, he's an outspoken fellow. Yeah. He, he was talking differently. He had like his work voice on when he was talking to you. Like he sees, yeah. saw it as a job. So I'm, you know, mm. he sounds different. This, uh, uh, you think you're going to get angry notices from your fiance about this whole bit? Very possible. Sure. <laughs> she, she never was supportive of him moving in. So yeah. That'll... Honey, is this a, is this a Oscar winning actor, Nicholas Cage in her, in her house? Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain or not? Um, I guess that's it for our show. We talked about a bunch of movies. Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yeah. It's out now. 103 minutes long. Mm. Yes. Um, that's all I got. Next week, boy, oh boy, we're talking about Dear Heaven Hansen. I think that's Is that gonna, the main review? That's probably going to be the main review. I don't think I'm going to see The Guilty before then. Because I think that's, that's a limited Netflix. release. It's hitting limited, oh. and then it's going to be on Netflix October 1st. Oh, I thought it was uh, hitting Netflix next week. No, I don't think that's the case. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure it's just Dear Evan Hansen. You, that's not one you're planning to get a screener for? Um, For The Guilty, uh, there's a virtual mm. screening I might be able to check out, but it would be like right before the release date anyway. Oh, so. well, virtual screening. Wow, okay. So they have expectations for this It one. was playing at TIFF and I missed it. I know, I know. Yeah. There's another movie I do want to see that's supposed to be coming out this weekend and that it's in any limited release. I'm your man. Have you heard about this one? I'm your man. Was that also a tiff? You said, I don't know if it was tiff. It could have been actually, but, uh, as far as I know, it's just hitting limited release. That's the new Maria Schrader film. Okay. Look out, Paul. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you would get that. Um, no, I did. Um, I'll try to think of it. Maybe I'll think of something else. No, no, this was a tiff. Dan Stevens is in this. Okay. Yeah. Hey, they're okay. Um, Let's do, yeah. Dan Stevens. I want to see it right now, um, yeah. but it's going to be hitting limited release. It's bleaker street. So I, I don't know if I'll be able to watch it in time, but I'd like to talk about it if we can, it's getting great reviews. You know, Alex Dowd, AA Dowd of AV club. Yes. He gave it a B plus. Yeah. Will Ashton. That's a, a B plus. From that's my Alex? movie. Mm-hmm. Let's get, it's like four out of four stars. Yeah. That's, that's a go see it right now. Kind of grade from him. Let's go. I want to go right now. Let's go. Sarah Clemens, a mm-hmm. uh, friend of mine who I'd love to have on the show one day. She reviewed the film for Exclaim. She gave it an eight out of ten. She's not an easy. Mm-hmm. She's not an easy like. An eight out of ten for yeah. her is really solid. So I'm I'm ready to watch this. May Abdul Baki. She's been on the show. She saw it too. Reviewed it for Screen oh, yeah. Rant. Four out of five. Yeah, former uh, writer for Cinema Blend as well. Yeah, I'd keep going, but you get it. Let's I, let's just watch sure. the movie already. Hmm. But yeah, that's it for yeah. us this week. Okay. Long up. Yeah, that was a while, but I'd say we got a lot out of it. I did. Sure. Yeah. I yeah, I, I got to speak to one of my movie uh, idols, and I yeah. got to speak to you as well. What more can you ask for in a single episode? Your favorite, your favorite film actor, your favorite film critic. Sure. Oh, that's not what you really believe, is it? Oh, uh, embarrassing. Uh, be sure to check out this podcast <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, uh, iTunes, media. Stitcher, yeah. uh, 
What are, what are the other ones? Uh, I don't even care at this point. I'm so mm. disappointed and sad. Oh. Um, from the internet, California, I'm John Agroni, I guess. And from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. See you next time. Nick, what are you doing? Hey, Gage is back. Oh. <laughs>